does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. There is no more like Southern Indiana outfit on the history of mankind than that of which Kevin Bowen's got on today. <laughs> He's got on his Larry Legend Indiana State shirt and his Paps Blue Ribbon hat. Let's go, Trees. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, that is a great description. I take that as a compliment, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, Intended as The such. Fighting Brad Bowen's, the Fighting JMVers. First pitch today, 5 o'clock from Fort Worth. So I figured if there was ever a day to support the Sycamore, certainly today would be that uh, Super Regional Best of Three gets underway. I think it's ESPNU today and tomorrow. So 5 o'clock and I believe 6 o'clock tomorrow for those looking to hop on board with the Indiana State Sycamores. Now, how about last night, speaking of games and playoffs and postseason, whatever else, um, Brendan King wearing the face paint yesterday, paying off for him for his beloved Florida Panthers, right? Hell yeah. Import the blue pills to the villages, baby. The Panthers are <laughs> okay. on the board. Jake, I feel like I have this annual moment every – it's probably every June, to be honest with you. And last night, one of my wife's best friends was in town, and they went out to eat, and they come home, and Maddie looks at the TV, and she's like, oh, wow, you're watching hockey? And I'm like, yeah, and, and you know what? I know you don't want to hear this, but I always have this th- feeling in the Stanley Cup Finals. Wh- why don't I watch more hockey in the playoffs? Like it was that third period was so entertaining with Vegas up two one, and obviously Panthers fans are on the edge of their seats, thinking, "Oh boy, here we go. We're going to go down three zero. We're going to get swept." And then all of a sudden, they score with boy, it was probably like two minutes left in regulation. And that just changes the tenor of the entire series. Five minutes then into overtime, they have the game winner. That is their first Stanley Cup win in franchise history. So Vegas still up 2-1, but on the board, the fighting Brendan Kings. I I think playoff hockey, hockey in general, but in particular playoff hockey, like game seven type hockey, is just super stressful. Because like at any time, somebody's going to score, right? And and you're sitting there, and like every time there, I, I don't. Soccer is probably the same way for people, right? I mean, there are only so many chances you get a shot on goal, so you're you're just kind of on your. Right. You have more of those moments in hockey, of course. And it's also like a very volleyball is like this too. If you've ever watched volleyball, when your team has like momentum or has the serve, or in in the case of hockey or soccer, like is the one however you say it, like on goal, it's a very comforting feeling. And you feel, But then like when all of a sudden it goes the other way, you feel totally on your heels and like vulnerable and like the sky is collapsing and, and you're just taking on water. And it's like, ah, uh, it's just a very, I mean, I guess I see why people get excited by it, but there is part of me that's like, good Lord, like why would you sign up for this? You know, maybe this is my eyesight or just my lack of hockey knowledge. I also feel what leads to me watching hockey and quickly getting very nervous, Jake, I'm not 1,000% sure where the puck is at all times. So I'm kind of like, wait, did that go in? Wait, does Vegas still have possession of it? Yeah, I don't think that makes you unusual. Do you remember the year, speaking of blue pill? Oh, boy. 
Jeez, we're off to a roaring start on this Friday. Do you remember, oh, it was probably three years ago, four years ago, and I, I'll say Fox. It was either Fox or ESPN. One of them decided to put the puck in the broadcast as like a blue mm-hmm. like light. Yeah, I always thought it was a UFO. And it, yeah, no, like everybody thought it was a great idea and it just, it didn't work, right? Good Friday morning to you. He is Jake Query. I am Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton is sending us texts from Empty Bucky's. Yeah, that was weird. Alabama. Not that he sent it, but that the Bucky's was empty. Yeah, I finally fell asleep at the end of regulation last night in game three. Uh, I woke up to a text from Brendan King saying, series is on, boys, and to Mark Dykton saying, this Bucky's is empty. Which pretty much sums up my life outside of probably my family and I guess a few of my friends. We got Sam Fritz in studio with us. Sam, good morning to you. Monday as well, right? Yes, Monday as well. Always good to hear your voice. What What's new? Not much. Uh, you know, race month is in the rear view. Still working. Just starting to trying to figure out what I'm going to do for vacation this summer. Nice. You mean like where you're going to go? Yeah, yeah. Well, where I'm going to go, and then also I have a girlfriend, and I apparently have to make sure she wants to go there, too. Yeah, well, that's usually how that works. Welcome to adulthood. It's a good idea to try to appease both sides of the party there. Uh, Good luck with that. Uh, Greg Rexhaw going to join us 8 o'clock this morning. George Bremer covers the Colts at 9. I do think the Dalvin Cook storyline from yesterday of it sounds like he will be released by the Vikings today. Um, Again, I, I just think there is a very specific way for the Colts to try and give Con- Jonathan Taylor a contract extension. Um, and, and I think the Dalvin Cook situation plays into some of that. And, and I want to get into that with George coming up and give our thoughts on it because I do think that storyline over the next month and a half, and we'll probably bleed into training camp of, do you extend Jonathan Taylor? What does that look like? Do you extend Michael Pittman? What does that look like? Those will be two big storylines here to um, the Dalvin Cook thing the rest of the summer. Is that simply we've talked about this with the Colts with Jonathan Taylor? Like, how much do you invest in the running back position in 2023? Do you win with that as your focal point? Is that what Minnesota's doing here, or is there something in play that I'm unaware of? Well, I think it's a reminder, Jake. Parents have your kids be relief pitchers or play on the live golf tour and don't have them be running backs. Yeah, you're not kidding about that. I mean, that's it, it is just amazing to look at Dalvin Cook's recent career. Four straight Pro Bowl seasons. Jake, there's no glaring injury. He just played every single game last year. A running back playing 17 games in 2022, that's pretty rare. I mean, if you look at any player in the NFL and you would say, yeah, four straight Pro Bowls, no recent injury history, 26, 27 years old, you'd say, hell yeah, I want that guy on my team. But he plays the position that, as I've always said, you don't, in my opinion, you just don't draft running backs till day three. And with Jonathan Taylor's contract coming up after this season, um, I'm not naive to say the Colts are just going to let him walk, but I think there's a very specific way the Colts need to handle the Jonathan Taylor situation. My thing is this. Jonathan Taylor, if you were to re-sign Jonathan Taylor, Kevin, he would demand what kind of money, or or it would be logical to think that he would make how much per year in a second contract. Boy, I'd have to look at the running back market, but you would think at least 15-ish. Okay, so 15 a year. And he's going to give you how many yards for that? 15? 1,500? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that would obviously be great. Okay, 
if you were to let him walk or run, McCaffrey makes sixteen a year, okay. sixteen million a year. Alvin Kamara fifteen million a year. So let's say that the Colts lowball him and give him twelve. I'm being really conservative here. So they give twelve million. Then, if they can get a player a rookie contract, <clears throat> what would a rookie make at running back, or a minimal like a, you know a. a not veteran minimum, but a, a realistic veteran salary. $4 million? Sure. So if you can get, let's say that, that Taylor you're counting on for 1,500 yards and you get somebody else that comes along and gives you 800. So if you, if you can get 60% the production at 30% the cost, you have enough holes elsewhere that you have to look at that, right? And when did his father time creep in? more of Jonathan Taylor's career. He's been so darn healthy throughout. But again, at that position, the shelf life is just a little bit shorter. So I think it's something very specific the Colts need to do on that front. So we'll chat about that today. Jake, the other, I thought, you know, somewhat kind of a newsy item late last night, more from a local angle. I would think Tom Allen's got to be doing backflips this morning. Now, granted, I guess you could insert, hey, Tom Allen's got to make it to 2024. Uh, but did you see the Big Ten released their uh, conference schedules coming up with USC and UCLA coming up? Uh, divisions are done. How great How great a news is that for Tom Allen? I saw that Indiana would play UCLA, right? So this is the Indiana schedule for 2024. And again, in years past, Jake, we're used to Purdue being in the little sisters of the, well, I, I love the little sisters of the poor, but you get the analogy. They're in the weaker of the two divisions in the West. Indiana, of course, is in the gauntlet of the East. That is out the window starting in 2024. These are the Big Ten opponents for IU in that season. Maryland, Minnesota, Penn State, Purdue, UCLA. Those are the home games. And the road games are Michigan State, Nebraska, Northwestern, Wisconsin. You've got no Ohio State, no Michigan. You get Penn State at home and... And no USC. No USC. Although UCLA, I think, is going to be pretty darn good because they, nobody talks about it, but they, you know, they're, they're playing pretty well. I... The one thing that to me, and this I will is admit, such Kevin, great news for Indiana. It, it, it still to me is kind of bizarre, right? To to look at it and go, wait a minute, USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. I mean, it's it's kind of cool, but how long? How many years into it will it be where the road games for UCLA and USC, or, or excuse me, the home games for UCLA and, and USC are like thirty percent? road fans you get what I'm saying like like UCLA playing in the Rose Bowl I don't know if you've seen lately like they're they get like zero attendance right so Sam with USC I mean the Coliseum attendance is awful yeah so what percent of those right games are going to be Michigan State's going to take 5,000 fans because I mean holy cow like how yeah. cool is it right it, it, it's like the Notre Dame home game you know, when Notre Dame hosted Georgia a few years ago, Jake, it was 50% Georgia fans. Right. Clemson had a huge contingent a couple of years ago. Uh, if you're trying to plan that, Indiana's at UCLA in 2024. Indiana's then hosting USC in 2025. So 
Uh, you head to the Rose Bowl in 2024 if you would like. Purdue will be hosting the Trojans next year. That would be 2024. And Purdue is then at UCLA in 2025. So you still have to wait for Indiana and Purdue to go to the Coliseum there. Uh, the other thing the Big Ten announced yesterday was who you would play on an annual basis. So for Indiana, the three teams they will play, um, I should say the one team they'll play annually will be their rival. So Indiana and Purdue are matched up on an annual basis. The teams they will play in both 24 and 25, IU gets Maryland and Michigan State, Purdue gets Illinois and Northwestern. I would think both of those programs are very happy about the two teams they get to play in 2024 and 2025. Did you, um, in terms of, like, have you been to the Rose Bowl? I have not, no. Have I, you been to, I, the I've been to the Coliseum? What's the Coliseum like? Uh, it is old. It is not very updated. And Scott Tolzien just threw another pick six there to start off the 2017 season. Because Cool looking from the outside, Jake, but... It's it's a bit shocking to me. I mean, I understand why the Rams no longer play in it, uh, and it's a bit shocking to me that USC is still playing in it. the The Rose Bowl is just it's fabulous. It's in the it's in a beautiful area in Pasadena. You come around like the corner, and you're it's up on a hill, and you look down into it, and the mountains are in the background. I mean, I'm like, how do they not get? I get it. I mean, in, in LA, there's 50 million things to do and UCLA football would be I mean now they have two NFL teams so why would you go spend your Saturday at a UCLA game I guess but it is I'm telling you like if I was well like bullseye event group I I would plan like a package for Purdue or Indiana or whatever that's going to UCLA maybe not USC but UCLA and take fans out there it's a great idea I mean spend like a weekend in Pasadena and I mean the because it's going to be like November, right, or whatever it is, people are going to be jonesing for sunshine and beautiful weather. Are you saying they it. shouldn't plan a trip to Piscataway <laughs> to watch IU take on Rutgers? Well, is that not going to fill up the plane? I mean, LEO, right? Uh, IU, I forgot this. IU hosts Louisville next year at Lucas Oil. That would be Jeff Brahms, Louisville Cardinals. That's right. What do you think the fan split would be at that game? Oh boy, Louisville does try. I mean, they do have a pretty big fan base. Depends on how how well Louisville's playing, I guess. But it's early. It's like week two or three, I think. Probably fifty fifty. I really. I mean, I think Louisville. You know, Louisville though. I went to a Louisville game against Clemson at whatever their stadium is now. It was Papa jo- Papa John's Pizza then. I don't know if it still is easy, stadium. Easy now. What's that? Easy now. No, Louisville I know Papa. But um. But you know. Actually, the Louisville fan base, and I've always really liked Louisville in basketball, notably, but the Louisville football fan base was kind of like Papa John, like kind of like that dude, right? It was a bunch of it was a bunch of guys wearing like uh, Affliction T-shirts and Ed Hardy T-shirts and chunky jeans, with uh, chunky jeans. You know what the chunky jeans are? That those were the jeans, like, and that's what I call them. Uh, like oh seven to oh nine, they had about a two year window. The the jeans with the like huge stitching on the back pockets and loud accentuation throughout. I won't say any brands because I don't want to offend anybody. There goes our sponsors. Uh, that's why I said I'm not saying any brands. I, I decided, Kevin, a couple of years ago, I made a, a an executive decision in my life 
that because I had the the fancy schmancy jeans and the LA boutique jeans and all that crap. And then I decided, you know what? Levi's and Gap jeans. That's it. If they're not Levi's or they're not Gap, which is what I wore for the first 21 years of my life from the jean standpoint, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just good old Levi Strauss, man. They've been around forever. You strike me as a true true religion jean guy. <laughs> I said I'm not saying Right, Sam? Hey, am I name. off on that? I, I said I'm not saying any brand names. Is that still around? That's how you wooed Shannon 18 years ago yesterday. <laughs> it's like, hey, look hey, at my true religion, girl. My sevens, my... William Rast. Is William Rast still around? They won the Indy 500 with Dan Weldon. Did you watch the final episode, 100 Days to Indy? I did not, actually. I don't get the CW, so I got to wait till it comes out on the app, which I think is just a 24-hour period. So I, I do know this. I I'll heard someone say, uh, by the way, Louisville Stadium is now the L&N Federal Credit Union Stadium. Okay. <laughs> just rolls, um, rolls right off the tongue. That's right. Somebody, somebody sent me a, a message last night at 9.38 – and it said, well, there's 22 minutes left, and we haven't even gotten to carb day. Oh, boy. I was hoping it'd be like an hour of just straight race day. Yeah, the parade and the race. And sure. Yeah. Well, so, no, I didn't. That puts a little bit of a I will see on. it eventually, but I did not see it last night. Did not. Uh, we've got the Belmont coming up this weekend. We've got, from a local angle, and Greg Rakeshaw can chat about this, the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Series tonight in Owensboro, tomorrow Gamebridge Fieldhouse for that. I was thinking this about the Belmont. Is there a sporting event that is so predicated on other sporting events? That's a great call because, yeah, I, I mean, the, well, and not only that, even when positively, detrimentally, it can be. And let me explain. I hate to always go back to this, but I am admittedly obsessed with Secretariat. I've said that before. The 73 Belmont, Secretariat's going for the Triple Crown the entire world is watching. They're captivated by this horse that had dominated the first two legs of the Triple Crown and five other horses enter. So you have a bunch of, you know, viewership and attention and everything else, but you also have a ton of owners and trainers that are like, yeah, this is a waste of time. I'm not entering. So you had twice a prince and sham and, Literally three other horses and Secretariat. That's it. So, I mean, it was like a – and, of course, it was the most unbelievable performance ever. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, if if the if whoever wins the Derby doesn't win the Preakness, then for the Belmont, doesn't the viewership probably dip 30%? Oh, it's got to. We don't even have the Derby horse in the Belmont. Now, the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Series, Kevin – when I, I, I vividly recall in 1987, which was one of the, the golden years of the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Series All-Star team for Indiana, because you had all five Marion starters. That was unprecedented. Rick Fox was there. And I remember my Uncle Thurman getting two extra tickets for my dad and I, and it was like... At Market Square. Everyone should have an Uncle Thurman. <laughs> there's actually, there's a restaurant in Delaware, Ohio called Uncle Thurman's. And I'm like, holy cow. Yes. <laughs> um, but Market Square Arena, I mean, it was sold out. It was like getting a ticket to 
Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, it was a tough, tough ticket to get. And then, and I know I've told this story probably a million times, but I'm doing it for the sake of perspective. When I was a junior in high school, I did the games for North Central on WJEL, your Panther Sports Connection, with Adam Alexander. Adam and I were the basketball play-by-play and color commentating duo for the basketball games. And we loved it. We loved everything about it. And we did the sectionals and the regionals at Hinkle. And then we're like, well, let's see if we can do the All-Star game. So we applied for – back then, the the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star game, I mean, there was like a radio row, and it was radio stations from all over the state of Indiana broadcasting the All-Star game. And we submitted for a credential to broadcast the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star game. And the guy that was the head of the credentialing for the Indianapolis Star called North Central and was like, wait a minute, isn't this a student station? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, the only radio stations that do this are like commercial radio stations. And I remember having to submit a proposal saying, I know that you've never had a student station do this, but at its core, the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Game is about students, is it not? It's a high school event. And so they basically said, Pat Aikman was the guy's name, said, you know what, you're right. And so Adam and I were the first high school broadcasters to be credentialed to do the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Game. And that, to me, Kevin, was, I I, I can't tell you how big a deal that was. It was, to the two of us, I mean, we were. 18-year-old you had to be. Unbelievable, yeah. and yeah. I mean, and I mean, we're doing the game, and it was Dwayne Morton was Mister Mister Basketball for Kentucky, and Bailey for Indiana, and Montrose was on the team, and it was the, and a little of that is obviously the esoteric nature of the fact that I was a junior in high sure. school, sure, 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 but it, but to me, it was seemingly the epicenter of the sports world, and it does make me sad, and I get it now. I mean, there's a million AAU tournaments and and whatever else, but it does make me sad when I see the two Indiana Kentucky all-star teams playing in Owensboro or Frankfurt or whatever in front of like 1500 people. I'm like, man. Yeah. There's a twist this year to the series. We'll talk with Rake about it here coming up at at eight o'clock of um, there's a futures game that will be played. I believe just before um, the boys and the girls get underway. So we'll talk with Rake a little bit about that. I know earlier in the week, the junior Indiana all-star game, uh, the junior senior all-star game, I should say, uh, was played up at uh, up at Cathedral, and it sounded like the Purdue guys played pretty well. Miles Colvin, and then Jack Benter, who's a commit from Brownstown Central, really good in the second half. Obviously, you got Floyd Badunga as a junior. You know, uh, any update on his recruitment? I don't believe Xavier Booker, uh, the big guy from Cathedral, played on Wednesday night. So we'll see about his availability for this weekend. Um, I know it's not like mainstream news, but Jake, I do feel like this guy certainly was pretty instrumental in getting the Super Bowl to Indianapolis, and I think there were some whispers that potentially he could be in line to be the president of the NCAA one day. Did you ever have any interactions with Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD, who stepped down yesterday? Yeah, did uh, did an interview with him. I think actually it was during the Super Bowl, um, around that time when I was doing the radio show. Never met him face-to-face, but had him on the phone, um, and I thought, you know, tremendous guy I mean he was super friendly to us I, that's not to say that I knew him from a business standpoint 
But I was a little – you and I were in a meeting yesterday when that news came out. You followed Notre Dame more closely than do I. But And I know that he's – it's funny, Kevin, when people have been really successful for a long time and then they retire and you're like, wait a minute, did something, there has to be a scandal here. And they're like, wait a minute, well, he's like 10 years past retirement age. Like, are people not allowed to just organically retire? Yeah. So I, I assume that's what it was, right? Yeah, 69 years old. You know, he's been in – that position as AD at Notre Dame for 15 years. You know, when you think about the big three there, and Marcus Freeman I don't think is, like, entrenched for the next six to seven years, but obviously you would hope that that he would be there. Uh, you know, from a basketball standpoint, he, you know, Neil Ivey got promoted when Muffin McGraw hung it up a few years ago. Neil Ivey's had a great start to her career. You aren't going to make that higher anytime soon, you would think. And obviously, Michael Shrewsbury was just hired. So, you would think from a hiring standpoint, Pete Bavacqua, the new AD, comes over from the head of NBC Sports. He was a walk-on for Lou Holtz back in the day. You would think that he's not going to have to make any substantial hires. Jake, I would say more than anything, the athletic director nowadays, it's about what does your TV contract look like? What does your conference affiliation look like? And what are you doing from an NIL standpoint? Totally. And the third might be the biggest. Yeah, and for Notre Dame's case, again, TV contract, okay, you just hired the head of NBC to be your AD. I would like to think he's got pretty good connections at NBC to maintain Notre Dame's presence on that channel because I think that's a big question for Notre Dame with the college football landscape. Do you still have a a seat at the college football playoff table? And by all accounts, they will. And do you still have a presence on linear television? And I would think hiring the head of NBC – would help you out from a connection standpoint on that end. I do think Swarbrick, while I know some people kind of question um, the success that he had there, I, I'm not one of them. I mean, Jake, at a time when Notre Dame football was in a pretty, I would say, rather ugly place of just like, guys, they're just another team now. He made the hire of Brian Kelly. He kept Brian Kelly there for, I think, longer than people thought. I mean, Kelly right. had some flirts with the NFL, kept him there, and – we don't need to get into this debate, but if you think about the best college football programs over the last decade and you're making a list of the top 10, Notre Dame's on that list. They're not three or four, but they've made it to three different playoffs. They've had yeah, double-digit win seasons pretty much that. every year. They're probably like eight or nine. And considering where they were before Swarbrick got there, firing Charlie Weiss a couple years into it, the hiring of Brian Kelly, I, I, I think he's had a nice tenure. You know, the... The thing about Notre Dame that challenges them that I have always felt is that Notre Dame, the the advantages that Notre Dame had as a football program for years, for years, many of which have gone away. It was, for a long time, Notre Dame, their fan base immediately, and, and for whatever reason, people think that this is said as like some attack on Notre Dame. It's not at all. A large, large, large reason why Notre Dame in its – heyday was had such a and to this day why it has such a massive fan base is because it is the signature school of one of the largest religions in the country right so naturally and understandably if you grow up catholic in any part of this country notre dame is a school that you have a great reverence for understandably right so so that that right there is never going to go away but in terms of for a long time Notre Dame, because of that fact, already having the name recognition from a regional standpoint for recruiting. So you had kids from 
the Cleveland area, the Chicago area, all the way into obviously like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and New York even that dreamed of playing for Notre Dame partially because and cemented by the fact that eventually then they were able to say, if you come play here, you are going to be on national television. Your parents can watch you every Saturday because we have an exclusive contract with a network. We're the only one that's guaranteed to be on national television every single week based on our contract. And then with the explosion of cable sports television, I, if you play at James Madison now, your parents can watch you every weekend. You know what I mean? So, so that aspect of it in terms of Notre Dame having an inter- or a national recruiting reach and a television audience – now kids are like, well, I mean, I have FaceTime. I can go anywhere and still be close to home, and people can watch me anywhere. So those things, at no fault of Notre Dame, right. some of their advantages, and then the academic standpoint of it, which I think, I think main, it's a little bit overrated. But. I think maintaining their independence is critical because it allows you to play the type of schedule that I think high school kids want to play. But I don't think that's going to be for long. And, and that will be a big thing. You know, will you still be able to have Ohio State non-conference? Will you still be? They've got Alabama on the non-conference schedule coming up. Obviously, USC and that rivalry. You know, will that be continue to be annual? Um, yes, because I think in two years, Ohio State and USC will both be conference games for them. You think Notre Dame will go to the Big Ten? Yes. Again, it was a quote on day one, but Vivacqua made it pretty clear that independence is something that he wants to maintain. We'll see how that unfolds over the next few years. I think if they continue to have TV. They continue to have a seat at the table. I think they will try and maintain that independence for as long as they can. Good Friday morning to you. Looks pretty nice. I think finally some rain in the forecast on Sunday. Sunday, right? We certainly need it on that end. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jake Query across the way. Sam Fritz filling in for Mark Dykton today. Um, Again, we'll get into the Colts conversation related to Jonathan Taylor's contract, the Dalvin Cook news, how or should that impact, and kind of a bummer this spring for Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. We'll explain that as well. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Kevin McQuarrie right here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, Brendan King running naked through Butler right now as the Florida Panthers get on the board. They win at OT last night, 2-1. Now that series, Vegas still with the lead there. It looked like it was going to be 3-0, but Florida scored late in regulation to force overtime. And about five minutes into OT, um, they score for their first ever Stanley Cup win. 3-2, Panthers over Vegas. Game four will be Saturday night in Fort Lauderdale. Kevin, you ever liked the band Soul to Soul? Uh, I can't say very familiar. They had a hit song, Back to Life. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Back to reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is the theme song of the Cincinnati Reds this morning. Beaten (laughs) by the Dodgers 6-0 last night. Uh, Actually, I I believe that was a day game yesterday. Clayton Kershaw, seven innings Thank the Lord Mark's not here. (laughs) Shut out. uh, Gave up five hits over the course of that game. Yankees and White Sox splitting a doubleheader. That, of course, a doubleheader to make up for the fact that their game the day before was wiped out due to poor air quality. That exact circumstance, again, wipes out Washington and Arizona. That game will be postponed. It was the Angels, 3-1 over the Cubs, and cute fellow, the Baltimore Orioles, 6-3 over the Brewers. That puts now the Orioles a full game in front of the
the Diamondbacks in our race for PBR. I'm trying to see what the Athletics did. Were they I, a well-deserved day off after winning two in a row? Well-deserved. <laughs> that was the day for the parade. And they, they had to rest off their little kings. Hell yeah, yeah, big time hangover after winning two. Uh, in a row. Indianapolis Indians beaten by the Omaha Storm Chasers, fifteen seven. Quite the windup for Quentin Nelson on the first pitch at Victory Field. Last night, a uh, game four of the NBA Finals is tonight. It is an 8:30 tip from South Beach. Denver favored by three and a half. Jake, I think obviously the pressure is squarely on Miami to get this one and not go down three-one with the series shifting back to Denver for Game Five. I don't think we saw it at all in Game Three. Can Miami get one more? One more guy? You know, Bam and, and Bam has been, I think, really good all series I, I, long. I, I think it might be over. And Butler, I thought, had a really strong start the other night. But just one of those undrafted dudes have got to step up at home. You know, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, somebody, Caleb Martin for how good he was in the Eastern Conference Finals. I do tend to think you're right, Jake. I think it might be over. But again, I've literally put my hand on the burner and not learned with Miami at one one time at all in this playoff series. So, Have you ever put your hand on a burner? Yeah, younger. Mm-hmm. Really? I also ate a stick of butter when I was younger. A whole stick? Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah, my mom was making cookies, left the room, boom, next thing you know, butter in my belly. You thought, why not just skip right to the good part, right? Well, why not? Now, now how sick were you? Uh, I think relatively sick, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would advise you not to do it. Better, Jake, probably with your recent health history, certainly advise you not to. Better or worse than the mayo in your coffee? Well, I was really young, so I don't. I mean, I was like four. No, that was like three weeks ago. <laughs> the mayo and the coffee was certainly. Gosh, I know. Every time I think about the mayo and the coffee, I just think of the chunks that quickly rose to the top. It's awful. You know, AJ Foyt used to eat frozen sticks of butter like candy bars. Oh my god! <laughs> I hate to say it, but how is he still with us? I, I mean. Because he's tipped over tractors, he's been attacked by bees, he's been in auto racing accidents. I... Now, if the Titans beat the Colts with Will Love as a quarterback, we have to do the Mayo Coffee this nope, fall, right? No, 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 we have no, to. Uh-uh, Sam, no, you can be no, the deciding vote. Nope. I mean, yeah, if the Titans, led by Will Levis, beat the Colts, it's. I feel like it's only fair. Well, you you have at. That sounds like something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies, Thank right? You, Sam, Sam come Geneva on. Convention. Where's Mark? Thank you. I feel like that's a war crime. Uh, It certainly felt like that, honestly, at at moments uh, a couple weeks back. All right, on the other side, Kevin and Query here, Jonathan Taylor. Again, the Dalvin Cook release sounds like could happen today. That is an elite running back hitting the open market. What should that mean for the Colts and their contract discussions with Taylor? I think you got to do something pretty specific on that end. And it's been an unfortunate spring for Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. We'll explain why on the other side as well. Greg Rankstall in 20 minutes here on Kevin and Query. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You are listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Before we get back into the Colts talk, we'd like to say good morning and have a good day at camp to Ezra. 
Ezra. Uh, Ezra Gorganius, who is on his way to basketball camp. Let's go. I assume. It says b-ball camp. I guess it could be baseball camp, too. Did you go to basketball camp when you were a kid? Hell yeah. I was all about, okay, when's uh, when can we hit the snack bar at Butler basketball camp? When can I get my fun dip? Oh, fun dip was great. I, I was a... I told that story about taking a charge and Joel Cornett picking me up. It was like one of my favorite memories of my childhood. It's pretty awesome. No chance I should have been in charge. Picked I, me up, carried me to the other end of the floor. I believe it was either – I think it was three-year. I, I believe I was a three-year veteran of Taylor basketball camp, and mm. I loved it. That's that's an iconic one. Loved it. Lived in the dorm. They still do it? Uh, I, boy, I would assume. They still do the silent night, don't they? Yeah. Good times. Definitely good times. Uh, Jake, Dalvin Cook sounds like he will be released today unless Minnesota can orchestrate a trade. And you're talking about a dude that over the last four years, 1,000 yards every season, uh, I think he's the third leading rusher in the NFL over that span, just played every single game last season. I mean, so much on that resume would lend you to think. And isn't Minnesota kind of win now, given their quarterback situation? I, I, I don't – it's not like they're in a – it's not like they're Tennessee – it's not like they're in a rebuild where it's like, hey, what do you do with Derrick Henry? Uh, but obviously they feel like financially they can't make this work, and I think a lot of it also has to do with the position that he plays. So uh, signed a five-year extension a few seasons ago, and they are bailing on that with two seasons to go. And for me, Jake, it's a square reminder for the Colts and how you handle these Jonathan Taylor negotiations. If it was me, I would not be giving Taylor a contract extension. Um, now, again, this is me. I, I, I'm not naive to think that's what the Colts are going to do. I think the Colts will extend Taylor. But how I would handle it is you let Taylor play out this rookie contract, so one more year left, then I would slap the franchise tag on him next year. And so that would give Anthony Richardson two years with a, you would think, a very hungry Jonathan Taylor to try and get that second contract down the road. And then when you get there, at that point, Jake, he's 26-27, Ah, uh, unless he'd want to come back on a very short-term deal, that's where I would probably say, all right, who's the next running back? And, and just have that rotation. And trust me, I think you got to support Richardson. So I'm not saying you flat-out let him walk, but let him play out this rookie deal, slap the franchise tag on him. You don't want to get into the boat that Minnesota's in, where Minnesota gave Dalvin Cook this five-year massive contract, and now they're bailing on it three years into it, just like Dallas is bailing on Ezekiel Elliott as well. Like, that is the danger with running back. So, again, this would be what I would do. I know it's not what the Colts are going to do, but that's how I would um, handle Taylor. Kevin, I've said a lot of dumb things on the radio. I mean, I've, I've done this for a long time, so as a result, it's only a natural that even if I say one dumb thing a day, that's a lot of days, right? And more often than not, the dumb things that I say on the radio – you know, I mean, later, you know, people mock you for it for a day or two, and, and that's it. One of the things that I said on this program, and I'm not saying this, hear me out, because it's going to sound like I'm saying this to push my chest out. It's not the, the case here, although I, I'm good at doing that. But one of the things probably that I can recall being more criticized for than anything I've ever said was at some point, and I don't remember what the circumstance was or why it came up. But some point in the relative infancy of the pairing of the two of us on the radio, I made the mention that I wondered if the Colts were going to be in a position where it would be better for them to move on from Jonathan Taylor and utilize what they would have to do to keep him to plug holes elsewhere. 
And I remember, I mean, and people were like, that is the, you are the biggest idiot on the planet. Like what, I mean, like I caught a ton of heat for it and probably rightly so. I think it goes to show that even in the course of just a year, the trajectory, the direction, the, the look of the team has, has shifted quite frankly. Well, I would argue the look of the NFL has shifted too. I think the NFL has looked the same though from when he came in. It's just the fact that the Colts, the Colts had Michelangelo's David at quarterback for like two years in a row, right? I mean, they just had a statue back there. So you need a running back to, to free things up. Now that you've got a quarterback that is probably going to do some run plays for you, that opens up your offense a little bit, that maybe can stretch the field and whatever else. I mean, you know, do you really need a running back back there to keep defenses honest? I, it, it helps. Don't get me wrong. But I think the level of necessity and the the length, the expansion you need out of your running back is less than what it was two years ago when you had Matt Ryan or Phillip Rivers or whoever. Yeah, I, again, I think Taylor is an outstanding player. Really no good question. player. No question. Um, I, and his career has been pretty durable. I know this past year, obviously, the ankle issues and having to have ankle surgery in the offseason. So uh, not participating in the spring, that's very rare not to have Taylor out there. But it's just the nature of the position. And when I look at guys that you draft in the second round, the goal with second round draft picks should be for them to be mainstays for you for six, seven, eight years. And to me, and that's what I liked about this year's draft, is when you made picks in rounds one, two, three, even four, you drafted guys at premium positions. The higher the pick, the more addressing that needs to go towards those premium spots. To me, Taylor in the second round wasn't that. Um, so how the Colts handle his contract negotiation, how they handle the Michael Pittman thing, will both be storylines to watch. But, I mean, we are talking about one of the top three or four running backs in the league who just played every single game last season, has had four straight years of 1,000 yards each, and a team that you would appear as win now on paper is saying, Thanks, but no thanks. It's just wild. Kids or parents have your kids grow up and be relief pitchers and play play live golf. You know, I thought about this. How about have your kids grow up to be long snappers? Yesterday I'm at the gym. I'm talking to the guy that I, I now, by the way, Kevin, and I highly recommend this at my gym. Um, I get stretched a couple times a week. Jeez, boy. That's awkward. Let me No, no, it's not. They got a nice table and then bob you don't do the stretching yourself no 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 bob who's the trainer mm -hmm. um, sounds just... like a code name <laughs> i i lay there and then he, he pushes my leg all yeah. the way back and then he, he bends it over and it's wonderful yeah it's shannon feeling... his name is bob yeah <laughs> jake can you be more uh honest with me about the actual name it's quite actually... the pen name <laughs> Yesterday, she's like, what, what do you want to do for our 18-year anniversary? And I said, well, have a stretch with Bob at 730. <laughs> Boy, if Mark Dykton was here right now, the sounds he'd be playing. I'm just saying. Bob, um, Shannon, and Jake having but, a stretching <laughs> date. But yesterday, while Bob was stretching me, we were chatting. And Matt Overton goes to, when he's in town, he goes to the same gym. And he was just saying, he's like, you know, that Matt Overton's a really nice guy. And I go, oh, no question. And I said, and he... Is he still on the Cowboys? Yeah, Overton? like every... And he said, he goes, you know, it's funny. He's in here working out and staying in shape. And then every year around mid-November, he disappears. Because somebody signs him. Because he's a long snapper. And how many guys do that, right? Gosh, Matt Overton is 37 years old. Yeah, and 
Last year, he I mean, how many teams has he played for now? The Colts, the Charger, the Jags, the Chargers, yeah, and the those, Cowboys, right? Those are the three that popped in my head or, or right away. Um, well, you brought it up yesterday, Jake, or earlier in the week. We were trying to think of the um, longest-tenured Colts. I, I managed to bring my knee up almost to my shoulder oh because Bob, Bob says I'm very tight. That's quite the visual. <laughs> I'm just saying. My uh, apparently my hamstrings in particular. He's like, yeah, you're probably a D in flexibility. I was really bad at that presidential fitness test back in the day. Did yeah, they have upper, those? When upper you were... body strength, not a strong suit of mine. Uh, but anyway, as you were, you were saying, yeah, that Bob stretching visual. <laughs> I I do think um, one big bummer this spring for Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson, really big bummer, is you go out there for practice, and you start seeing the dudes that they're throwing do. And it's like, wait a minute, are these guys even going to be on the team this fall? So far, they've had three weeks of OTAs. We get to watch one OTA each week. Again, next week will be a three-day minicamp. That's it. Sayonara for the offseason program. Jake, in the three open OTA sessions we've been out there for, Michael Pittman has been observing, Alec Pierce has been observing, Josh Downs has been observing. That's wide receiver one, two, and three. Then you go to the tight end group. Jelani Woods is watching. And these aren't frontline tight end guys just yet, but the other two tight ends that are watching are Drew Ogletree, understandably, coming off the torn ACL from last training camp, and then Will Mallory, Bill Mallory's grandson, uh, the fifth-round pick out of Miami that I know Shane Steichen was really high on when they drafted him. So you are literally without your top three wideouts and probably like your second and fourth and fifth tight end. That's unfortunate when you have two new quarterbacks trying to get acclimated to I mean, personnel. A big part of it, I am by nature a cynic. But I, you know, I remember when I covered the St. Louis Rams, and all everybody was talking about was Troy Pelshack. Troy Pelshack, Troy Pelshack. Guy, Troy Pelshack's going to step up and make plays. Troy Pelshack looks unbelievable. Looked like Adonis. Got off the bus and you thought, good Lord, look at this guy. This, I mean, if you were casting a movie about linebackers, and guys flying around making plays, Troy Pelshack. It's all you heard about, Troy Pelshack, Troy Pelshack. And then, like, second cut's coming, it's like, Troy Pelshack cut. Well, what happened? Well, you know, he looked good, but he had no instincts, couldn't play. But he looked great in, in June. Well, it was June. Okay. And then, for the Colts, Drew Haddad. I mean, if, if the preseason was the regular season, Drew Haddad is already in Canton. Every year. Drew Haddad, Drew Haddad, Drew Haddad. And then, boom. You know, Ken Phelps bat. Ken Phelps bat. Drew Haddad, where is he? I'm naturally a cynic about it, Kevin, because you just don't know who these guys are making plays against in OTAs and even in training camps, right? You can typically tell when somebody pops out, it's like, whoa. But there's a reason why NFL scouts and NFL coaches are in that position to make more money than I because they have the eye to be able to to see the nuances that separate guys. Do you remember Deron Carter? Like, oh, like sure. people were doing backflips over that. Yeah, I, I just look at it as two new quarterbacks not being able to get used to the personnel they'll throw to this Yeah, time. that's a fair point. I mean, you want consistency there, They've right? They've been super healthy O-line, D-line this spring. They have not been that wide receiver tight end. And, I, again, I don't think any of these injuries are necessarily decimated. Like Shaquille Leonard in, in question sort of injuries, but it's just an unfortunate part of this spring uh, you got a landing spot for Dalvin Cook that's that's good um I I don't know what teams truly need like w 
is the running back position a coveted, you know, like are there teams that are like, man, we've, we've been really scouring to find out who's the Jets running back? Yeah, right now in Vegas, you have pretty much kind of co-favorites in the Dolphins and the Jets. Really? To land Dalvin Cook and then, um, you know, no Ezekiel Elliott. Dallas is also in the mix. But, I mean, didn't they just give all that money to Tony Pollard? Yeah, I would think Dallas would not. If Dallas wanted to pay a lot for a, a premier running back, they'd stick with what they had, right? But it goes back to that whole running back thing. I mean, when you think about you know, Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs franchise tag and you know, Zeke Elliott and Kareem Hunt and Dalvin Cook are free agents, it's just, you just don't see that in any other position around the NFL. Guys of that talent, that success there, um, be on the open market or not have long-term security with their team again it is indiana all-star weekend with the kentucky all-stars coming up this weekend greg rakestraw will chat about that the uh, seniors and juniors played earlier this week looked to be a pretty good night for the purdue crew so uh we'll ask rake about that and flory badunga on the other side kevin inquiry here on 93.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 8 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Sam Fritz in for the vacationing. Mark Dykton, who's hanging out at a Bucky's in Alabama. Uh, before we get to Greg Gregstraw, I meant to mention this earlier. I want to mention it now. You'll get tired of hearing me hear, uh, hearing me mention this between now and the August 12th IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader at IMS on the road course. But for each race, I am allowed what's called a spotter, which is basically just somebody that goes up into the radio broadcast perch and serves as an extra set of eyes. Truth be told, it's just somebody to go up there and hang out and enjoy the race weekend with me. Um it does include credentials for the media center and the radio booth. And, you know, you basically just follow along. We just hang out for the weekend. And then going up into the broadcast locations for uh, all three races, the Xfinity race, the NASCAR Cup race, and the IndyCar race, the qualifications would be that you've got to be 18 years old, you've got to be mobile enough to get up into the broadcast perch which does involve not being afraid of heights and, and some minor climbing of a ladder uh, but that is on my twitter account at jake query j-a-k-e-q-u-e-r-y it is the pinned tweet somebody asked me recently if there was anything that i could donate to help out for the kids in the heart unit of riley hospital and so i said well i can auction off that experience that's awesome. So if you would like to be my spotter and hang out for the weekend, you can make a bid up until July 31st. So certainly appreciate anybody that might have an interest in that as a gift or for themselves. Uh, and you got to be able to have a clean – you have to have a clean record as well because you've got to go through security clearance. Ooh, well, there goes my chance. <laughs> you up the list? I just re- re- retweet as well. That's great, Jake. I love well, thank that. you. Thank you. Uh, one guy who has a lot of access – at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline and getting set for the All-Star Weekend, talking about Greg Rakestraw, who joins us on the program. Greg, happy Friday to you. And the same to you, fellas. Good morning. Uh, let's begin with this. The 
what I, when I was in school, I don't recall, Greg, and I know that this has been around for a while, but the junior All-Stars as well, I know that they play an exhibition game against the senior All-Star team. Do they also play the junior All-Stars against Kentucky in exhibition? And, and that has been a more recent development. Uh, so I want to say, because we did that game on Sunday, I think this was literally the 12th time that the Indiana juniors and Kentucky juniors played each other. Kentucky's juniors played their seniors last Saturday. So that was like a one-weekend commitment for those kids. For Indiana, basically they select 18. There are six that play in both games, which are referred to as the core six. Then there's like a blue group or a red group, and basically kind of the southern Indiana group or Indianapolis group, they play the kids against Kentucky. The northern Indiana kids then usually play a game that's in the Indianapolis area on Wednesday night. And then now we got a futures game, right, Rake? Which is brand new. So what okay. this is, and that's tomorrow, and basically it is, in theory, make sure I do the numbers right in my head, the top eight freshmen, top eight sophomores, top eight juniors play each other in a north-south game, girls at noon. Then uh, the boys do that at 2 we are not, from an ISC perspective, we're not streaming those two. So we have streams of the games tonight in Owensboro, so I'm uh, shuttling everyone to Moonlight Barbecue and then the actual games itself uh, coming up this afternoon. And then tomorrow we'll have the girl-boy doubleheader Indiana-Kentucky at 5. Futures doubleheader starts at noon. Greg, I know that we kind of belabor this point, and I apologize for that, but I'm fascinated by it. And that is, for a long time now, the, the Indiana-Kentucky series has become pretty one-sided in favor of Indiana, which I love, don't get me wrong. But I, I think that that combined with the AAU circuits, you know, there are a number of things in play that have probably waned the interest level in totality of the event itself, which is a shame because I think it's a great traditional event. But do you think Indiana will eventually – I don't think the event goes away, nor should it, but does Indiana – begin to tweak or look at tweaking whether or not they play specifically Kentucky or as you and I've talked about in the past could it be discussed that they play say a Chicago all-star team each year or you know Ohio or whatever you know I just I I I think the better option is if for whatever reason the game with Kentucky goes away and and I want to also state this the boys side Indiana has been dominant the girls side has been much more even um, over the last few years. In fact, Indiana and Kentucky have split uh, over the course of, of the last couple of years. The boys' side, it has been very lopsided. It has been very much Indiana has been the dominant team. I was part of a committee, and this, this dates back, my goodness, at least 10 years at this point, maybe more. And, and this was kind of held at, at, at the field house at the time, saying, okay, if Kentucky goes away, what are we going to do? And, and the, the best idea that I had that I think has the most legs would actually be to play in Indianapolis versus the rest of the state game. Um, and, and maybe that line of demarcation, we, we jokingly called it the Metro 8 versus the rest of the state. Marion County and the seven contiguous counties, you take their best 12 players and then take the best 12 players from Fort Wayne, South Bend region, Southern Indiana, Terre Haute, Lafayette, you get my point. You know them out. Um, there are other events like the Midwest Challenge that Anthony Leach and the Prep Ball Stars people do. They played it at Attics the same day as the Mini Marathon, um, where they brought in Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, and Wisconsin. 
There used to be an event, I remember it being in Fort Wayne one year, that it was a force. I think Ohio was a part of that as well. I just don't know if starting now you would have that same rivalry feel of Indiana versus other state. If you had to go in a different direction, I think it's Indy versus Indiana, I think would be the way to go, to be honest with you. It's an interesting um, idea there, Rake. I'm kind of intrigued by that. Greg Rakestraw with us again, ISC Sports Network here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I want to go back to the junior all-star game earlier this week, juniors and seniors at Cathedral, and just get your thoughts on a couple of individuals. It looked like Miles Colvin had a really good game, and then it looked like the other Purdue commit for not this coming year, but I think it's next year, Jack Benter had a really strong second half. Uh, what did you think of the Purdue guys in that one? Uh, M- Miles has the athleticism uh, in the background where he can help uh, Purdue immediately. Uh, and obviously, he's not going to be asked to be a, a, a dominant factor, but he has the athleticism where he can make that leap from playing high school basketball to playing in the Big Ten and be a kid that can be a playmaker. Um, you know, he was he was solid. Uh, and, and again, when your dad, you know, played at a high level, even in a different sport, when your older sister plays at a play at a high level, in, even in a different sport, um, you just kind of you kind of know what to do. You know, you, you you will you will figure it out and blend in quickly. And the example I'll give you for Miles. He played in the Calgary Pro-Am last year as a senior-to-be, and that's an event that had pros and Division I college guys, and Miles held his own. So he's went out and found not just great competition in high school, but pretty good competition elsewhere. He's going to be solid. Jack Benner had a great second half, as you pointed out, because he was not good on Sunday. He was, frankly, not good in the first half, but finally got his shots to go. He's a really good player. He plays at Brownstown, which is kind of bumped back and forth from 2A to 3A. But his dad's his coach. His dad was a great small college player at Hanover. And, again, because Jack plays at a high level of AAU, like most of these top kids do at this point, he's going to be ready for for Purdue, uh, at least as ready as a high school senior can be. Brownstown is upping their schedule this year. They're playing in the uh, Hall of Fame Classic. Them, Kokomo, Brownsburg, Christmas Attic on December 30th. Brownstown is also coming to Carmel to play in early January as well. So they're doing a good job of trying to showcase him, but also kind of get him ready for Purdue. So as per usual, Matt Painter's doing a great job of recruiting the state of Indiana. Speaking of Kokomo, Flory Badunga, we obviously saw a couple months ago just kind of that iconic picture of the 4A state finals of all those coaches Front row. I know maybe this isn't your kind of cup of tea, Rake, but you certainly are very well connected. Have you heard anything on his recruitment? Any new teams? Any teams that stand out as he heads into his final season on the high school scene? I jokingly told somebody on Wednesday. They said, "Well, what's it looking like?" I said, "Well, there are 363 Division One teams, and they would all love to have him." <laughs> um, I know that Flory went to Michigan before he went to the Pangos All American Camp which is out in Vegas, I believe, which is why he didn't play in Sunday's game. He was there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and hustled back to Indy so he could play in the game on Wednesday, and I believe he is set to play in the Futures game coming up tomorrow afternoon. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to indicate that Michigan is the front runner, but it is a place that, uh, you know, Juwan Howard was at the game at the 4A State Finals, and and apparently it resonated because he took a visit to Ann Arbor in the last few days. And I assume he's going to stay at Kokomo? For his final year, I know that's a question Absolutely. you have to ask with you know any of these heralded recruits. No, because of the experience he has had, where that town 
and really the entire state has embraced him. You know, this is it's 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 not going to be the story of of Damon Bailey or Romeo Langford, but it's close in terms of you know I would imagine he does not play in front of an empty seat this year. Maybe at Newcastle for the Hall of Fame class because it's got nine thousand seats and it's Saturday, December thirtieth that he's playing. But I know at Kokomo will play in front of an empty seat, and I would imagine on the road places are going to fill up. And I know that he and his family have loved what his experience has been like at Kokomo. And you got to remember, he's got a pretty good head coach in John Peckinpah, who before he was a high school head coach was a college head, college head coach at the small college level. So he's getting great coaching uh, in terms of his high school days as well. So, no, that kid is not going anywhere. He is staying at Kokomo for his senior year. Uh, two things I thought recently I'd heard about him, Greg, and then I'll let you play fact or fiction on these. One of those being that he apparently has said that before he makes a decision, he wants to make an official visit to Kentucky now as a late player. Uh, The other being that this may be totally somebody joking around with me, that he also is going to play soccer this year. Have you heard either of those two things? I haven't heard either of those, but it wouldn't surprise me on Kentucky. I mean, I I did the game that Zionsville played at Kokomo on December 20th, and John Calipari and Orlando Antigua both flew in to watch him. Kemper if Orlando was there or not um, for the state finals. I think he was. Face at this point. I, th- I thought he was too, but I couldn't confirm that. The soccer thing, I'm sure the Kokomo soccer program would love to have him. Um, and if you want to have an example of a guy that played in the NBA that was a high school soccer player, you can look no further than George Hill, who was a starting goalkeeper at Broderpool High School. How about Tim Duncan? Yeah. Didn't Duncan play? Didn't he swim and play soccer? And he said that's why his footwork was so good. You would you would assume so. And as somebody, I think it'd be great was, if he does that. I think it'd be great. As somebody who's a basketball guy first, and then now a soccer broadcaster, believe me, I can tell you the foot the, the, the footwork and then the movement of how you attack to try to score a goal. I tell people that are noobs to soccer. I said, if you know basketball. Think about how you break down a 2-3 zone defense. That's how you generally move a ball in soccer, so it wouldn't hurt. Picturing Mike Woodson sitting behind the goal of a Kokomo Western (laughs) Tuesday night (laughs) soccer match that goes into overtime. I I Um, have, boys, I have seen Tom Crean recruiting Gary Harris at a football game in Hamilton Southeastern, so it wouldn't be the first time. It worked out well. That would happen. Uh, Greg Straw with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake, you are obviously a soccer aficionado. Uh, explain to us the significance of the Lionel Messi to uh, the Miami MLS club. Uh, it's, it's absolutely massive. Uh, and, and MLS has, I wouldn't say restrictive, um, but very much competitive balance enhancing rules in terms of salary cap, money available. Um, you know, the, the top MLS salary is $8.1 million. Good amount of money but not what a guy like Lionel Messi was going to get if he went back to Spain. I was going to even went to Saudi Arabia, which is now more of a player for international players or China or things like that. And so MLS got creative in terms of giving him a cut of some app, of, of Apple TV uh, subscriptions based on watching him play uh, in terms of, you know, Adidas, who is the sole uniform supplier uh, for major league soccer of, giving him a, a cut of things like that, too. And so it's basically a bending of the rules, knowing it is for the greater good. Everybody's going to make more money if he is playing here for a year or two. 
it will go down as the second most important signing in the history of Major League Soccer. The reason it's second is the first is David Beckham, and that is because the league was not on solid ground at all in 2007 when he came over to the L.A. Galaxy, and that changed that league. So the league's in a really good place now, but it's going to be better because Messi is here? Absolutely. And seemingly this is a topic of conversation for anybody who even has the smallest inkling of wanting to, you know, be a soccer fan or, or watch the sport in this country. It's a massive deal. And, again, especially considering now the Saudi influence is starting to come to soccer as well, he could have ended up someplace else. The fact that he is here, that's a major win for Major League Soccer. So, Greg, asking legitimately and not sarcastically, how does it move the needle more than did David Beckham or Pele to the Cosmos? How is it different in terms sure. of the, the level of gas left in the tank for either of them? Accessibility. Uh, and, and I can't intelligently tell you, you know, from having watched him in terms of how good of a player Pele was when he came here in 75 and basically played, I want to say, through 76 and 77. Um, Lionel Messi is still amongst the best players in the world even at the age of 35. Um, in terms of Beckham, Beckham was, Beckham's a, was a great player. Was not, is not the, he's, he's not in the Messi, Pele, Ronaldo, Cruyff conversation. Uh, his was, was this interesting combination of, uh, of, a, of a great skill set. He's really more of a, of a set-piece guy, corner guy, you know, distributor, uh, where Messi is both a, kind of a creator and, and, and scorer. Beckham's kind of more of that creator, more of a set-piece guy. But Beckham's also more he's kind of a matinee idol. I mean, you know, he did come over here after they made a movie called Bend It Like Beckham. Uh, that was that was you know an, an international you know phenomenon. Um, Messi is is he a player he was five ten years ago? No, is he still amongst the best players in the world? Absolutely. Okay, Greg Regstraw with us here, Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake, last one for me. Um, I, I don't, I'm sure you've read enough. I, I get that it's not the top storyline you're paying attention to this week, but you've seen the headlines and you've read enough on where we're at right now from a professional golf standpoint, the Saudis' involvement with that. Um, I just have some general skepticism of what this all is going to look like when it's all said and done. I saw a press release that was very vague and, and very few details, and it seems like there is a long way to go before we actually get something kind of locked in with all of this. What has been kind of your overall thought on how the professional golf landscape has changed in the last week? Uh, I'm not sure I can comprehend it. <laughs> it's got so many layers to it. I will say this. I have always been pro PGA Tour in this versus Live Golf. I'm not sure I've been pro Jay Monahan this entire time. And for those that don't know, that's the commission of the PGA Tour. Um, there were things he said last year that I agreed with. Like, I, I thought his line to Jim Nance on this weekend last year in the Canadian Open was spot on. You ever had to apologize to being a member of the PGA Tour? I thought that was accurate. But there were other things that, that he said during that time that I'm like, no, no, I, I, I don't think that's the direction you need to go. Um, and so he, he doesn't look great. But frankly, you know, it, it's interesting because in other sports, we always look at the commissioner kind of, you know, being the front man, the guy that has to take some, some, some shrapnel at times, you know, for the owners. Well, that's really not the case in the PGA Tour. Maybe it might be now. And so this is it, – it, it, it's funny because I, the end result, 
I feel good for the fans because, in theory, you're going to see all the top golfers competing in the same events, which is what people want. It's the process of getting there that I'm really concerned about. And frankly, and there are people that are smarter than this topic on me, that I'm not sure the legalities will allow it to go through. So it is, it's going to be a long road to get there. Again, I'm happy for the fans, but I'm still sweating the details and not liking a lot of, I think, what the details are going to come out to be. Are, are they going to play – here's the dumb non-golf guy question, okay? Do we know for a fact that now this continues on – and it's kumbaya under one umbrella, and the outside fan doesn't even really notice a difference? Or are we going to start seeing live golf rule tweaks, you know, different scoring mechanisms, teams, whatever else, like they had done in that? And are they, are they just going to bring that now to PGA? Do we know? Listen, I, I, I've always thought the team score stuff was crap. That it was just a way to try to differentiate their product. I think what it really comes down to is appearance fees for the top guys and some no-cut fields where you're guaranteed to make money. Um, and, and the gargantuan money for Live Golf was because the Saudi Investment Fund, frankly, had it, and it was the way to guarantee guys to leave the PGA Tour, to leave where they were making several million dollars to then making tens Absurd million dollars, dollars. right. Right, so that that you know you're adding an extra zero on the back end of that. Um, so 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 do you? I mean, the PGA has a two-man team event in New Orleans now every year. Does the PGA Tour now have a couple of events where it's it's a four-man team event or a three-man team event? Maybe. Um, I think what you'll start to see now is guaranteed appearance fees for guys. Uh, I think which which again takes away some of the drama of you didn't make the cut, you're not making money. Um, do, does the PGA Tour go to go to you know, 54-hole no-cut events, not across the board, no, but at, at sometimes, yes. And and where I really think the, the live factor will come in, I almost think the live will almost be like an exhibition tour. In other words, again, where kind of where the live almost kind of like, you know, merges dates with like which what we call the European tour, which is now called the DP World Tour, and I think you can see the, the top American players, especially in the in the fall and early winter, start playing those events globally um, with with the core of their schedule being here in the States from, say, January, February through the end of August, which would be the FedEx Cup playoffs. Jake, I think to your question, the answer is we don't know. And I think that's what's so confusing about it all. Yeah, it's right. just like we have no idea what exactly this is going to look like. And, you know, putting morals aside – I just hate, and Rick, I think you and I are on the same page, I hate the competition of Live Golf. I hate the no-cut. I hate the 54-hole event. I hate the appearance fee. And you don't really earn anything with your play outside of, yes, you do earn money, but in terms of status, in terms of getting into you know majors and playoff events, that's what I've always enjoyed about the PGA Tour. Ricky Fowler had a hell of a career in 2014-15 and then didn't play good golf, and he didn't get into these events. Now he's starting to play better golf again, that aspect, David Duvall, he fell off a cliff. Well, just because his name was David Duvall and he was once ranked number one in the world didn't earn him the status that I think nowadays he would get, and that's what I kind of enjoyed about golf. Now, David Duvall was the guy that was ripped like the Michelin man, right? Uh, what, I kind of know him as the Oakley dude. Wasn't he, like, shredded? I, I don't. Rick, would you call Duvall, like, shredded? 
No, David. David was a little pudgy and then lost weight and became less of a golfer. So that's my. But I thought, is it David Duvall the one that like had like huge biceps and like got super muscular like oddly in the last and then like just Bright, are you thinking Bryson DeChambeau fell off a cliff? No, like David Duvall was like the number two golfer in the world, right? And then just kind of disappeared, right. right? Yeah, I just yeah. think of him as Oakley guy. Right. He he had that odd sun, you know, you know, face sunlined tan because of his Oakleys. That guy, yes. Rake, safe travels to Owensboro. Thank you, fellas. Greg Rakestraw, Indiana, Kentucky All Star Weekend. Someone brought this up in the chat, Jake, and I thought this was an interesting point. Does the lack of Indiana, Kentucky as a college basketball rivalry contribute to the lack of interest in the high school game? No, I think one thousand percent. And let me explain. before college basketball recruiting and college basketball in general became a a, a national, again, the world was a smaller place. Actually, I guess the world was a bigger place back in the day. And so if you grew up in Indiana, the odds were pretty high that you were going to play collegiately at Indiana or Purdue. Or maybe Kentucky, Louisville, or like Michigan State. And if you grew up in Kentucky, the odds were pretty high that, that like the Kentucky roster always had Kentucky kids on it. And then Rick Pitino came and the landscape of Kentucky basketball changed where all of a sudden then they started recruiting kids out of New York. And Kentucky was, a, it's always been a national brand, but the recruiting aspect of it became more national to the point where the Kentucky roster has very few kids from Kentucky. The Kansas roster has like very few kids from Kansas, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was absolutely 1,000% an element of the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star game that was captivating to people because it was a precursor preview of what you saw in terms of the Indiana-Kentucky or Purdue-Louisville rivalries moving forward for the next four years. And when you had the occasional defector, you know, Kyle Macy going to Kentucky, Jim Master going to Kentucky, you know, when you had that, that added to the spice and the intrigue of it. You know, Sean Kemp announcing for Kentucky. Those things certainly spiced it up, no question about it. Absolutely. And then once it got to the point where you started seeing, like, the Kentucky Mr. Basketball is going to Western Kentucky and the Indiana Mr. Basketball is going to Michigan State, it just, you know, it waters it down a little bit. Indiana Mr. Basketball going to Notre Dame this year. Marcus Burton out of Penn. I don't believe the Kentucky Mr. Basketball is actually playing in this weekend's game. I probably should have confirmed that with Rake, uh, but I believe that is I, – I think it's a college obligation, which that is now – of the many reasons why I just think the series continues to lack juice – that is part of it is these colleges some of these colleges want their guys on campus earlier and earlier for their respective summer programs uh all right we're gonna have george bremer join us at nine we'll get to that jonathan taylor contract debate with george who covers the colts for the anderson herald bulletin and look ahead to minicamp the final week of the colts offseason program is on the horizon for now though let's hit a morning check down the morning check down omaha on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. I'm actually going to begin with a little college softball. The Oklahoma Sooners, for the Boomer. third straight year, are your college softball World Series champions by defeating Florida State 3-1 to last night. So the Sooners, who kind of started to catch some heat over being, um, would you say cocky? Overly 
Well, you win 53 straight. How are you not? Yeah, I mean, no argument there. But congratulations to the Oklahoma guys. Major League Baseball yesterday. Dodgers over the Reds, 6 nothing. It was Chicago, that be the White Sox, splitting a doubleheader with the Yankees. I'm looking at the local Midwestern teams here. Uh, Angels over the Cubs, 3-1. Baltimore Orioles. Hey, come root for me. That's all the cute fellas saying on the on the hat, and that's why we root for them. 6-3 over the Brewers yesterday, and the Omaha Storm Chasers, 15-7 over your Indianapolis Indians. You know, I mentioned earlier, Quentin Nelson had quite the wind-up on the first pitch. I still haven't seen where that pitch went, though. I would like you, Typically, when they just show the wind-up, does that mean the pitch wasn't very good for the first pitch Probably. person? You know, the, I did a first pitch once. Lefty, and let, by let the way, tell, Quentin let me Nelson. Say this. Rowdy doesn't have a, a whole a great range of motion. Oh, Rowdy was your catcher? I thought yeah, they usually I, have a player. No, I had Rowdy, and I'm like, look, man, like, move a little bit left or right to make me look halfway yeah, decent. Have you ever here. been in that costume? It smells. I would love to be a mascot for a day. I, that's my, my really my dream job. Some would say you are for three hours on the show every day. <laughs> okay. Speaking of baseball, Indiana State on the diamond down in Fort Worth. The Super Regional begins 5 o'clock first pitch. That is on ESPNU. And it's a best of three series to get to Omaha for the Sycamores. So game one today, game two will be 6 o'clock tomorrow, also on ESPNU. If there is a need for a game three, that would be on Sunday. TCU, by all accounts, one of the hottest teams in college baseball right now. They have won eight straight. I think they've scored double-digit runs in seven of those eight. They scored 20 runs in a game against Arkansas, who was the number three seed. But here you go. Uh, the most northern team left in the baseball college baseball World Series is Indiana State. And I saw this, Jake. Um, really, go really trees. Really cool gesture. Obviously, we've seen TCU already raise a ton of money for Special Olympics, which is a big reason why. Terre Haute is hosting the uh, Summer Special Olympic Games this weekend. Big reason why they cannot host this Super Regional. Not only have they raised over 20000 for Special Olympics, $1 from every purchase at the concession stands will also go to Special Olympics. Yeah, that's so cool. So, major, major, major kudos to TCU, their athletic department, their community. That makes you for kind of. They've done. I mean, obviously not in this scenario, but in other ventures, it makes you kind of root for TCU. Hey, you know winner I mean? of this Super Regional, that's who I'm pulling for in yeah, the College World exactly. Series. Exactly. Good way of saying it. Uh, NBA Finals, did you mention that already? I did not. No. Uh, Heat, uh, Heat and Nuggets. Game number four tonight at 8.30, of course, pretty much a must-win for Miami, right? To try to square things up at two games apiece after the Nuggets really seize control midway through the third quarter in game number three. So I personally think it's probably over now, but if Denver wins tonight, it's assuredly over. Game five will be Monday out in Denver. Speaking of the other final, it would be the Stanley Cup final on the board. Brendan King's bunch. They scored late, late in regulation last night. Uh, I couldn't make it into overtime, but that third period was outstanding from an entertainment standpoint. Tied it up at 2-2, and then uh, about five minutes into OT, the game winner. So the first win ever, first Stanley Cup final win ever for the Florida Panthers. You watched the whole game and then punted on the overtime? Yeah. I, I mean, it is still hockey. Yeah. I think that's extremely wow. unfair to hockey. I want to say the third – boy, I could have sworn it was like 11-10 maybe when I threw in the towel. Yeah. I care about how this show is going to function for a three-hour period, and I needed my six hours of sleep. 
Let's see what my Fitbit says I got last night on a sleep standpoint. Sam, did you watch it? Aren't you kind of a hockey guy? I Well, I just kind of think that hockey is a way more entertaining sport than people give it credit for being. I mean, it's fast-paced, slick soccer. No, that's right. Yeah, I love it. With, um, with more you know, action on goal. Yeah, I, I tune in when I can. I do not have any sort of cable package, so the ways in which I tune in, I cannot disclose over radio. Oh, sounds uh, shady. TNT is where you're at right now for the Stanley Cup Finals. Four hours and 22 airways. minutes of sleep last night. 422. You got to get those numbers up, man. This 9 o'clock right. hour should six, be interesting, Sam, based off that. Uh, on the other side, uh, again, great news. If you are Tom Allen, we'll explain why the IU football coach should be very happy with yesterday's announcement. And we'll continue to talk a little bit of Colts. And an interesting solo workout for the Pacers. They've had solo draft workouts at different parts of this draft cycles. We are less than two weeks away. This name, though, not one that you would think to be in the top 10. We'll do that on the other side. Kevin and Query, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake, typically uh, I would guess Tom Allen doesn't need much to inject energy into him on a given morning, but I would think yesterday's news from the Big Ten did just that, and that is the announcement of the 2024-2025 Big Ten football schedules. Again, USC, UCLA into the conference the days of Big Ten East and Big Ten West are long gone. Listen to this 2024 schedule for IU, Big Ten-wise. Maryland, Minnesota, Penn State, Purdue, UCLA at home. The road games, Michigan State, Nebraska, Northwestern, Wisconsin. Now, here's the thing. I get what you're saying. But let's really break this down. Is Indiana beating Penn State at home? Well, Michael Penix did, right? Well, is Indiana beating UCLA at home? Is UCLA good? They were a top 10 team last year, weren't they? Chip yeah, Kelly? But I feel like they haven't. Like, that was kind of out of the norm for them as of late. I don't know. I mean, traveling three time zones away, and how's UCLA going to handle that weekend and or four of those trips a year? You get them in the final one of those road trips, you get it in 38-degree weather. Okay. Uh, are they winning at Michigan State? Boy, Michigan State's bad. Um, probably not, but... They're winning at Nebraska? Uh, probably. They're winning at Northwestern? They could. They're winning at Wisconsin? No. Now, you look at Purdue's schedule. I mean, that's better than the norm. That's it, better than Ohio State-Michigan. It Michigan. is. I mean, you're right. You don't get Ohio State-Michigan. You're correct. I mean, you but avoid I do think, the two I do think UCLA is decent. I do think UCLA is decent. And, now, and more, it's just this is no longer the norm. You will not have a every-year schedule with Ohio State and Michigan on it, which were just two automatic losses. And, and when you throw in Penn State, if they would get those like three out of four weeks, I mean, it's that's a pretty bad one-two-three combo. But now Purdue, the home games for Purdue. We'll begin actually for Purdue on the road, okay? At Illinois, at Indiana, at Maryland at Michigan State and at Wisconsin. The home games, Nebraska, Northwestern, Penn State, and USC. 
I, I think it's cool just to I, – I, it's it's still odd to me, but it's cool to think, like, USC is going to come play in ross Stadium. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Yeah. It, it's rather wild to kind of look at the schedule and actually see those acronyms on it. Um, again, IU at UCLA in 2024. So, if you're looking to make the trip out there, it's at UCLA in 24. IU will host USC in 25. Purdue, as Jake just said, hosting USC next year. And then they are at UCLA in 2025. Um, so each team in the Big Ten, Jake, they you have a rivalry protected. Indiana, their rivalry, of course, Purdue. So they will play on an annual basis. The announcement yesterday also indicated that you will have the same opponent in 24 and 25. Two teams you'll have in 24 and 25 both years. So for USC, the obvious protected rivalry is UCLA. USC's other opponents, they will play both in 24 and 25. Penn State and Wisconsin. Now, no, nothing says welcome to the conference like that. They get Penn State and Wisconsin as their double opponents. Indiana gets Maryland and Michigan State in addition to Purdue. Purdue gets Illinois and Northwestern in addition to Indiana. Now, Michigan, Iowa, and Northwestern are the three teams – that get both USC and UCLA. In year one? Yes. Ohio State gets UCLA, and it's on the road. I thought I saw this yesterday. The Big Ten West has never won a Big Ten championship. I believe that's correct, right? So Wisconsin never won any of those 17 games or Iowa didn't drink their way to the Big Ten title game? Who was the one? I feel like Northwestern was close in one of those COVID Big Ten titles. Is Wisconsin games. in the east or west? West. The east has got the big three. Ohio State, Michigan. And Nebraska's the west also, and right? Penn State, yeah. Well, didn't Wisconsin, and I, I, I'm pretty certain I'm not hallucinating here. Didn't Wisconsin and... Nebraska play each other in the Big Ten title game? Ooh, that's a that's a lot of red. Was it I I'm certain this is correct. I went to the Big Ten title game one of the first years that it was that Nebraska well when Nebraska was in it. And was that pre division? When when did the divisions come into play? I thought the divisions were in play from the get go because remember it was the leaders and legends and then they changed it to just east west. Yeah, but, I guess did remember, you change anything from east west? Did the teams move at all from east west? Like once you went from leaders and legends to east west, did yeah, the teams that, move? That may be right. I, I know this: the Big Ten title game had. I, I, I'm certain of this. It was Wisconsin and Nebraska. Maybe I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, no, no, no. You, and, you are right. It was a total blowout. What one of the two teams? And I, yeah, I think Wisconsin it was put up seventy. Yeah, Nebraska was favored. And, like, it was thought that Nebraska was going to win, and Wisconsin, like, they just scored again. I mean, it was ridiculous. Am I, what year was 2012, that? 2012. That was still leaders and legends. Okay. That's what um, it was then. And then they went to the Big Ten um, East and West. Yeah, Nebraska was 10-1, and, 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 and Wisconsin dropped 70 on them. I was there, and it was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. I mean, all these people – I, I, Monte Ball still running in the open field. The only cool thing that happened to that weekend is I met a trucker from Nebraska who had his cab parked outside Lucas Oil Stadium with a pet raccoon in it. 
<laughs> and that was cool. That's he, awesome. He had on a hat that was made out of a bent hubcap with a uh, an ear of corn on it. And I'm like, man, Nebraska, just a different world. I like Nebraska, but. God, Ohio State beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing. 2014. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ohio. So once they went east-west, your winners, Ohio State. And then you had Michigan State and Penn State back-to-back years, two competitive games with Iowa and Wisconsin. And then it is Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State. And, of course, the last two years in really not two competitive games, although Purdue tried to hang around for a bit, Michigan beating Iowa and well, Iowa's usually the sacrificial lamb also, right? Like they get in and everybody gets excited and it's like, oh, Kirk Ferentz, every four years, this guy's a magician. And then they get beat like, you know, 53 to three. It's like, okay, that was fun while it lasted. Yeah, Carson Steele's at UCLA now. Thank you for that, John. Remember him? Oh, uh, yeah. Good uh, player. Center Grove guy. Uh, so, yeah, so that's going to be a little homecoming for him. At IU. I, I think it's very – I know, Jake, the common thing to do is just rip the Big Ten for everything. And, oh, my gosh, conference management, they're horrible. And Kevin Warren this, blah, blah, blah. Eliminating the divisions is a move that should have been done several years ago, but it's about time. The It was way, way too one-sided. Purdue had such a gift being in the West. Have you ever been to UCLA? I have not. I, I don't see how UCLA should literally get – every single recruit that makes an official visit. If I'm the UCLA recruiting coordinator for whatever sport it might be, baseball, softball, volleyball, basketball, football, whatever it might be, if I get a kid to agree to come to an official visit, I hang the phone up and I go, all right, chalk him up, he's coming. Because Or she. There is no way, I don't see how it's even possible that if you are a Division One athlete that is invited to make an official recruiting visit to UCLA, I don't see how you choose anything other than the University of California, Los Angeles. What if you want to be closer to home with your girlfriend? Your girlfriend can come to UCLA. I'm telling you, like, you you pull out of the campus in Bloomington, Indiana. It's nervous where you're going with that. (laughs) In Bloomington, Indiana, you pull off of the campus and you drive up Walnut and there's a Burger King on the left and then, like, some new brownstones for kids from New Jersey on the right. In West Lafayette, you pull out of the campus, and there's a suntan city on your left, and uh, like have a, you been there? McCree's Deli on the right. Suntan City mm-hmm. was there yesterday. Spray tan. I, I I can't remember if it's the Expressions or the Versa that is the more violet color, but that's what I always request. And then they tell me either one, and sometimes I turn out orange. Um, but yes, yeah, so th- this glow right here is not natural. How's he look to you, Sam? Wonderful. You know, I mean, Thank radiant you. would be the right word to healthy. use. Healthy. Healthy is how I look, right? Yeah, sure, sure. Healthy, healthy skin, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, Tanning beds and health. In the you same leave time. the UCLA campus, you pull down the drive, you are literally across the street from the Beverly Hills Rolls-Royce dealership. So why are they not better in football then? Perfectly. Honestly, because they play in the Rose Bowl, which is like 45 minutes away. I really believe that's it. They You got to go to Pasadena for every game. It's not on campus. That's the only thing I can think. And because from a football standpoint, the state of California, which produces a lot of good players, especially Southern California, modern day, all those schools, you have Notre Dame recruiting there now. You have USC, which is, you know, obviously under Pete Carroll became the it sexy school. And then you have Oregon coming in and getting players. Boy, and, and you Boise talk about state. NIL, Oregon. Oregon's got the NIL thing. Totally. Down like no other. I mean, Oregon's going to, I'm telling you. I will I will put decent money on this. 
I will not do it from a team facility, however. I will make sure that I'm across the street. Um, the, the Big Ten's next move, they're going to pluck Stanford and pair them. And I know Notre Dame says they want to be independent. They're going to pair Stanford and Notre Dame are going to come in as a pair. Would then, Stanford not want to pair with Cal? Well, that's that's the other thing is Cal is I think Cal's kind of the the looming wild card there. That's a fair point because I do think Cal is in play, especially because Cal academically would be huge for the Big Ten. But then I think Stanford Notre Dame was the original design that they were going to come in as a pair together. Then after that, I think they'll pluck two more out of the Pac twelve. And it's going to be any two of the combination of Oregon, Cal, Arizona, or Washington. And Cal has the academics on their side, and Oregon has the money on their side. Yeah, yesterday's athletic director news at Notre Dame, for those that missed it, Jack Swarbrick stepping down in 2024. Pete Bavacqua um, from NBC, the head of NBC, was a walk-on for Lou Holtz. He is the new athletic director. You could probably look at it that one of two ways. First off, if you want Notre Dame to stay independent, Avakwa said that publicly, that that's what he wants. Second, he obviously has great relationships with NBC. He brokered the deal to keep Notre Dame on, on NBC. If Notre Dame can maintain that status as an independent, that's what they would like to do, I think. Or the Big Ten just negotiated with the NBC. So, with NBC. So, you have that relationship there. Granted, it is a new Big Ten commissioner now in the fold, but obviously that'll be a storyline to watch. So USC, UCLA, not this year, but if you are a guy like Tom Allen, the division's no longer. You have got to be rejoicing here moving forward. All right, George Bremer, he's talking Colts again, the Jonathan Taylor contract situation and what's been a bit of a disappointing spring uh, in terms of pass-catching personnel for Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. We'll do that in about 10 minutes here on Kevin and Corey. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, George Brimmer, coming up in just a couple minutes here, we'll talk Colts. Kevin, this fascinates me. Maybe I'm the only one this fascinates Coming up here in a couple of weeks will be the 46-year anniversary of the last concert Elvis Presley gave at Market Square Arena. And, I mean, that was the last concert of his life. I think everybody knows that. He was scheduled to go to Milwaukee from Indianapolis and then was not able to, from a health standpoint, get to Milwaukee. So they, they diverted back to Memphis where... I don't know, but I assume that he lived relatively reclusively then for six weeks or so, and then he passed away, I think, in August of 77. And I was watching last night. I saw some clip. I don't even know how I ended up on it, YouTube rabbit hole, I guess, of his last concert and the end of it. And as he's walking off, he's just he's leaving the stage, and he reaches down and, like, 
this girl is screaming and he reaches down and like shakes her hand, you know, and, and then literally walks off the stage and, and walks right down the hallways of market square and gets in a car and drives off. And literally 30 seconds after he shakes this girl's hand, you hear the Elvis has left the building and presumably left public, the public light. I mean, he, he was, nobody knew it at that time, but that was it. Right. So I'm watching it and I'm like, this woman basically is the last fan that Elvis Pre- that, that ever interacted with Elvis Presley. And I, I just sent a tweet with a picture of the woman from the video saying, like, I have no idea if this woman's from Indianapolis, but this basically would be the last person to publicly, like, interact with Elvis Presley, essentially. And some guy, because Elvis does take off a scarf. He has a scarf on, and he throws it into the crowd as he's walking off. Somebody responded to me on Twitter and says, my uncle has Elvis's scarf from that concert. You, if can, the, you can make some money off I, that. I, I was going to say, if that's verified – I mean, there's no reason to believe that Tom is lying to me. If that's verified, how much must that thing be worth? I'm always curious about this in terms of, like, memorabilia sort of things. Don't people just, like, forge signatures on autograph cards? Oh. And try to make them look exactly like the real signature? Like, the verification process or the... Validation process. I, I really don't know what the exact term is in terms of cards, but can't you kind of finagle your way around that? I mean, they have experts that that's all they do. I, mean, is- I hate to sound shady, but not to I don't know get to the future is is the gloom and doom here. But there are people out there already who have used AI to train machines to forge signatures. That way, you can get a machine to have like the indent of the pen, and it actually looks like somebody pressed pen to paper. Well, I, yeah, I think that's probably been around for a while, right? Like, right, but now that we have computerization to kind of perfect it, right, it'll right. only be harder to tell. I mean, from a memorabilia standpoint, Kevin, most valuable thing that you have? Oh, that's a good question. A former colleague of mine was a huge card guy. I took a lot of my cards into him, and you know, he, he didn't seem to act like any of them were great. Granted, he might have just pocketed the two or three that were great. I don't know. Probably one of my stupid Pokemon cards, if I still have those. Okay. I'll, I'll buy your entire collection for 10 bucks. I mean, I have a, um, I have like a John Wooden signed, um, what is it? The Pyramid. What, yeah, what's that's the exact cool. phrase? That's cool. The Pyramid of Success. Pyramid of Success, yeah. How about you? Well, yours would probably, probably be the Indy 500 I mean, helmet, the- right? The Indy 500 helmet that I have, so it's now a New Garden has yet to sign it. So I got to get New Garden to sign it. But once, once he does, it will be every living winner plus Al and Bobby Unser, because both unfortunately have passed since I began the project. But I, I believe New Garden will be the 38th winner on the signature or, or to sign the helmet. Um, I also have the newspaper from when man landed on the moon that is signed by Neil Armstrong, which I think is valuable only because shortly thereafter he literally officially publicly declared that he would no longer sign autographs or take photos. So I, Oh, and then my handwritten letter from Charles Manson. Yeah. Riveting. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. People are just lying out the door across monument circle to get a glimpse. When of Jordan that. retired from the bulls, I went to the press conference and I, we were the first two people to walk in and they said, yeah, there's press releases around the corner. And I, sh- I, I shouldn't admit this. I, I, I took the press releases that were there on official Bulls letterhead declaring Michael Jordan's retirement from the game of basketball, and no one was around. So I took two for myself, two for the person I was with, who I won't say to incriminate them, and then we took the two boxes of them and threw them in the dumpster. 
So I think I have the only. Boy, that strip your credential immediately. I know. Well, that was a long time ago. You've you've heard my Jordan Ryan Bowen autograph, right? Story. Michael Jordan signing the golf ball for my brother. No. So, 98 Eastern Conference Finals, Pacers-Bulls, of course, here in Indy. Uh, it is race day, so it's the last Sunday in May, Indianapolis 500 day. My brother has a golf tournament. I want to say it was either the next day or maybe that Tuesday or Wednesday. My brother's 13, 14 years old at the time. So, they go to Prairie View Golf Course, which for those unfamiliar with Prairie View, butts right up to Connor Prairie on the east side of Carmel. At the time, it was a very new golf course. There's really not any houses on Prairie View in general, but back then there were no houses whatsoever. Uh, they pull into the parking lot. There's four cars in the parking lot. One of the guys says, wow, good timing by you. Michael Jordan's on the eighth hole right now. They're like, what? Michael Jordan, Ahmad Rashad. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was in the group. I forget who else, but the ninth green literally just kind of spills into the parking lot. And so they waited for 10 minutes. Jordan came over and said something to the effect of, oh, man, I'm not used to signing, you know, these dimply golf balls. Ryan had a golf ball and a Sharpie in his pocket, said Jordan couldn't have been nicer. And the thought was he wanted to play a course in Indy that had no houses on it. Obviously, it was race day, so that helps out. But Ryan Bowen has a signed golf ball from Michael Jordan. Still has it? Still has it. That's pretty cool. But it kind of, you know, when the last dance came out and you heard all these stories about Jordan playing golf in between games, I mean, that was evidence of right. it. Of, it wasn't the day of a game, but it was in between, uh, I guess that would have been, what, three and four in that series. All right, so when we come back, George Brimmer, the Anderson Herald Bulletin. Again, should this Dalvin Cook storyline have any impact on the Colts and their handling of Jonathan Taylor's contract? And also, what has he made so far of, at least when we've been out there, Gardner Minshew getting the starting reps the last two weeks. George Bremer joins us next here on Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, the Colts wrap up uh, their OTAs this week. One week left in their offseason program. It'll be a three-day minicamp to conclude things coming up next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And George Bremer, who covers the Colts for the Anderson Harrell Bulletin, does a great, great job. He joins us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline. George, with this Dalvin Cook news, sounds like he could be released uh, from the Vikings today. We've been kind of debating the impact on the Jonathan Taylor front with that news. So I'll ask it and kind of ask you to wear two different hats. How would you handle Jonathan Taylor's contract extension, and how do you think the Colts will handle it as he heads into this final year on his rookie deal? Yeah, I mean, these running back situations have been sticky for a while now in the league, right? I mean, I think everybody's seen the way that market, the bottom just kind of fallen out of it. Uh, but those top guys continue to seem to get the money. And then this situation just plays out again and again and again. You see Cook on the, the market now. Um, it seems like very few of these guys get to the end of that second contract with their team. I think... If it was me, you know, I'm in charge and I can work it out with his agent. I think like a three-year deal right now, uh, if you can get the running backs kind of into that market, might be the best way to go. Get it 
before they turn 30. I'm almost like 27, though, now. I, mean, it's, it's, I think that's how old Cook is. It's crazy how early that's going. Uh, but I think if you can get it more on that, like, three-year cycle instead of maybe that five-year cycle, I might look that way. Uh, but I think the Colts are probably going to go with that uh, five-year deal or something in that range. Uh, it sounds like they really, you know, are committed to to getting Jonathan Taylor uh, the contract that that his season in I guess 2021 would really dictate. You know that he has. Um, I just think that this the running back situation you just see it all the time. These guys sign these mega contracts, and within a couple of years they're they're back on the market and they're playing somewhere else. You know the. To this point, George, the reality is that Jonathan Taylor has not – you know, it's not like he's shown that he has – he has a lot of mileage on – there's a lot of mileage on the on the tread, right? But he hasn't necessarily shown it. I mean, one would assume, though, Kevin, you mentioned it earlier. I think it's a good point. You don't want to commit too much just because the reality is that it seems inevitable that eventually Father Time's going to jump in, Right. Well, it's like Dalvin yeah. Cook. Five years have turned into three yeah. years. Yeah. Absolutely. And you go back to Wisconsin, and to Jake's point, uh, the mileage on yeah. Taylor is phenomenal. And yet, and you, you, know, you get a little bit last year with, with the ankle injuries. I don't know that that's necessarily due to the wear and tear right now, but it does make you wonder if it's going to accelerate, you know, the inevitable there. It's George Brammer. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. George, the preseason schedule, three games for the Colts, August 12th, 19th, and 24th. The 19th will play the Bears. It's actually a nationally televised game on NFL Network. That will be right after the joint sessions with Chicago. Then the next Thursday, they'll play Philly. They'll have a joint practice with Philly two days before. That will also be nationally televised on Amazon. I I look at those two games, George, and I think to myself, Boy, they're going to be nationally televised, but how much are the starters going to play? Because if you follow past precedent, teams that do the joint practices, and mainly the Colts, they then don't really play their starters at all in those preseason games that follow the joint practices. Do you think the presence of Anthony Richardson would change that normal line of thinking? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. There's no doubt. You get into these these joint practices, and then those guys get a ton of work. They get more than they would in a regular preseason game. Obviously, it's non-contact, so it's still not completely the same as it would be in a preseason game, but it's definitely something I think the coaches like. Blow that whistle early. You can script the exact scenarios that you want to see. Uh, and then you get out there on, on the preseason game and the starters just watching the sideline. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle Richardson. The number one thing that they've said really from day one when they drafted him is experience is, is really what he needs. That's what they're most focused on. So he's going to get a ton of snaps in environments where at least he's going to get different looks from defenses. And the thing about those joint practices is they'll show more than they do during a preseason game too. So he's going to see – more complex coverages, he's going to see hidden you know, disguises, things like that. Uh, they might not see it's much more vanilla in, in the preseason game, but at the same time, you want him to feel that pass rush. It's that balance. You don't want him to get hit too much, but you're going to want him to get some work. I would think you'll still see him more than you would see you know, a Phillip Rivers or 
Carson Wentz or, or any of the guys in the last couple of years who've been more established in the league, I think you're still going to want to get him out there. Maybe it's just a quarter, but I think you're still going to want to get him out there and let him be in that environment, let him go, you know, get those life bullets for a little while. Then you got the you know the storyline of okay if you're starting him do you play Ryan Kelly a lot in the preseason he's your oldest guy on the team all of these storylines will be interesting to watch come preseason again George Bremer's with us covers the Colts on a daily basis at GM Bremer on Twitter um, George I, I asked Shane Steichen this earlier in the week he didn't want to go there but hopefully you will indulge me kind of a target date in camp of when you think we will see a starter emerge. If you believe Steichen right now, they are continuing to split reps. So when you look into late July, early August, again, the preseason games are the 12th, 19th, and 24th. Give me a date range that you look for that we see one of those two start to kind of dominate the first team reps. Yeah, you know, I – I think it'll be that final week. I think that's what you've seen around the league with a lot of these other places where there's been true competition and, and you really don't know how it's going to turn out uh, because you've got that extra, I hate to call it a bye week, but you've got that extra little week now in the preseason. After that third preseason game, you usually do cuts that weekend, and then they have a week that's sort of like the regular season that isn't yet. Um, I would think right at the start of that week is, is when you'll get that person named and then, It'll be a game week. You know, you just come in and, and hand the starter all the reps. Uh, and after that, as you know full well, those twos and threes don't see a lot of time. Uh, that, that's one thing I think they're going to consider as they make this this decision. Uh, you know, if Anthony Richardson's not the starter, uh, you won't see a whole lot of reps even in practice until they do make that decision down the road. you got to believe, though, even if Minshew's the starter at the beginning of the year, which is very possible – there's going to be some kind of package in there for Minshew, some sort of, or for Richardson, some sort of, you know, group of plays, whether it's short yardage, red zone, red zone's probably his biggest challenge right now, but whatever they want to look at uh, that, that say, okay, we're still going to get him in there. We're going to get him some reps, even though he's not the starter. When you look at the receiving core, George Bremer, and you look at Anthony Richardson, and let's let's assume – that Anthony Richardson does we're going to go like total rose colored glasses here. He 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 acclimates, he has a great camp, he's ready to go week 1 and he's starting to show the promise that the Colts expected of him. Just based on the way he plays, his mobility and the new receivers that are in the mix, the Colts passing game looks different in terms of like I don't know if verticality is a word but it looks different in what way than what we have seen for the last few years, or does it? I, I do think there's going to be more aggression, you know, more more deep balls. Even in practice, you've already seen, he's not afraid to, to really let that go. Rashad Perriman had been there, I think, two days, and he throws a 60-plus yard bomb to him early in that second session. So, you know, I think he's going to be more aggressive in his mindset. I think Shane Steichen's going to be more aggressive in, in terms of his play calling. You, you look back to Philly, you know, they're not afraid to take those deep shots. Uh, the thing that's really tough right now with that receiving crew is three of the top four or five, however you want to, you know, line that up, weren't out there last week. And Pittman, Pierce, and, and rookie Josh Downs. And Pittman and Downs haven't been out there, I think, since we've been watching open practices. So maybe Downs was the first one. Uh, but I think the entire time they haven't been there. And then 
add Jelani Woods into that mix, who hasn't been out there all spring. And I think that's that's another factor here that, that's going to make things difficult as they get into training camp and they start to try to decide who the starting quarterback is. Richardson's gotten very little time with some of these top guys that theoretically he'll be throwing to in week one if he wins this job. It's funny, George. You, I know you and I both sit there at practice and kind of chart things. I'm chart, charting like who they're completing balls to in practice, and it's like Malik Turner, Vincent Smith, Rashard Perriman. Like Zach Moss caught six balls the other day or something like that. I mean, it's like not a lot of these guys. I mean, Moss will be there come week one, but to your point, it has been a bummer uh, from a really Minshew or Richardson standpoint they haven't gotten the work with the guys that you would expect to be there uh, again George Bremer is with us here at GM Bremer on Twitter B-R jeez I should know how to spell your last name E-M-E-R thank you, thank uh, you. Jake for that um, he joins us here on the Bayless Lickers Hotline George couple of corners to watch obviously the Isaiah Rogers news I don't expect him to be playing for the Colts in 2023 um, you've got a couple other injuries at that position Outside of Kenny Moore, I would say this is great news for Dallas Flowers and any other corners to watch uh, moving forward. Yeah, Darius Rush's name is going to come up a lot because, you know, he's a guy that some people feel like was drafted a lot later than expected. Uh, Another one of these outstanding athletes, you know, fits that Gus Bradley mold of of what they want. Big physical guy. Uh, He's also been banged up a little bit. Haven't seen him out there in a couple weeks. Uh, but I think he's got a really good opportunity. And then Daryl Baker Jr., uh, who we've seen a lot of in the most recent practice out there. Uh, just guys that, that don't have, in, in many cases, any snaps yet in the NFL. But even in Flowers' case, you're talking about really the last month of the year where he was getting out there on defense you know, in, in any level. And he's another guy that, that's very young in his career. He's, uh, I think he's 25 or 26 because uh, he was in college for a while, bounced around, went to a lot of different levels. But it's not been very long at all that he's been playing football because I think he was really focused on basketball early on and, you know, even shorter period of time than that that he's focused in at corner. So I think it's, that's the way the NFL always seems to go, though. You know, a lot of focus when, when it was revealed that Rodgers is the guy who was the target of this investigation was the opportunity that he let go. And it was a huge one for him this year. Probably would have been a full-time starter for the first time. Had a chance to, you know, going into a contract year, really make a name for himself. Now that opportunity falls to guys like Dallas Flowers, Daryl Baker, maybe even Jalen Jones, the seventh-round pick, can get his name in the mix as we get into training camp. Uh, and a lot of young guys with what looks to be a pretty wide-open competition right now. George, when would you, if you had to guess – we will have resolution on the situation with Rodgers like when? I would think before training camp at the very latest, uh, but maybe even as early as a week or two. I was going to say before 4th of July, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I feel like when when you get these leaks, it's sort of like in in any other area. The investigation is usually either done or pretty close to it because somebody's turned in a report. And that's how you're getting details like this most of the time. Uh, so, yeah, I would think before the 4th of July, at the very latest, you think they're going to want that settled by the time this team gets to training camp and they know, they'll know you know, what the roster looks like and, and how they're going to have to set things up. Three-day minicamp coming up next week. George will be out there alongside myself and some others as we cover the final week of the offseason 
program. George, always enjoy the conversations, man. I will see you on Tuesday. No problem. Thanks a lot, guys. George Bremer, Anderson Harold Bolton, does a great, great job right there on the Payless Lickers Hotline. One other corner name I'd throw into those he mentioned, Tony Brown. Um, was on the team last year. Some crazy hair, crazy special teamer flying down there. I think he would be a name to keep an eye on as well. It's unfortunate, Jake. The Warren Central second-round pick, Juju Brents, uh, that just he is unable to participate this spring due to a wrist surgery he had back earlier in the offseason because, you know, no Rodgers, a couple other injuries around him. This is just a great time for Brents. And honestly, he still will have ample opportunity to cement that starting job, but – Right now, uh, I think you pencil him into your starting lineup. So I've had this dream, kind of recurring dream, for about, years. About Bob the Stretcher? <laughs> what, what, what do you find so odd about the fact that Bob, who's a trainer, does stretch? Like, like NBA games. You go to an NBA game, you see the guy, he's laying on the floor, and there's the trainer that's like lifting his leg up yeah, and stretching it you're back. You're not Jokic. Well, I'm yoked. I don't know if you know that or not. God, dear Lord. I mean, I listen, Kev. The 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 beta blockers have hurt me a little bit in terms of the the donut here in the middle, but but for the most part, for fifty, like I, I mean, let's face it, I look good. People tell me that all the time when I go out, and they're, and they're, then they're stunned to find out it's a spray tan because they're like, most of you just naturally is impressive. Forty one minutes, Kevin. Forty one <laughs> um, minutes. Hello, weekend. There are two dreams that I've had forever, one of which I think most people have. Do you ever have the dream that, like, you're going in to take a final and you haven't been there all semester and you know you haven't been there all semester and, like, you haven't turned anything in? You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to pass. My dream is I forgot my golf clubs at the state finals. Okay. Most of us on the broadcast crew of the 500 have a dream that we get up to the turn and we don't have our headsets or we're stuck. Yeah, that's not not good. But one of them that I've had is – I've had this dream where I get like a tryout for the Pacers and I just shoot the ball really well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually going to make this roster. Like I, I've just been in the zone and they haven't figured out yet that like I really can't play, but I've just shot the ball well. Can't guard I, anybody. He's going to fit the Pacers real well. Yeah, exactly. But, and you wonder if for certain guys in the NFL, if they all, if they go into it wide eyed and like, incredulous that they're there but then the further they go along due to attrition of their position they just keep getting opportunity and they don't screw it up and before they know it they're like I I think I'm like here to stay and that happens a confidence is kind of raised based on their own inability to grasp what's going on which is to their to their advantage and like you look at young players now at the cornerback position, Kevin, they're going to have that opportunity to go out there and they're probably like, I I didn't think I was going to get this many reps this early on, but let me just go through this. And by the time they realize what's at stake for them, they've already gotten into the routine and the habit of doing it the right way. And so they avoid that mental game that blocks so many guys out, if that makes sense. What's the greatest ability? I don't know, but I bet I have it. Availability. That is true. You know, Darius Rush is a name that George just brought up, okay? So for those unfamiliar, Juju Brent's the corner from Warren they took in the second round. Darius Rush, a corner out of South Carolina, they took in the fifth round. I mentioned this after the draft. I thought Rush had a great advantage to him in the spring in that he was healthy, unlike Brent's. 
So, Jake, he was going to get 13 practices in front of the coaching staff to make a first impression. And when you're a rookie and you make a strong first impression, there's always skepticism with young players. If you could do that, now all of a sudden you've got the leg up when camp opens at Grand Park. Well, now, like George said, Darius Rush has missed kind of the last two weeks, and I think that has maybe stunted some of that. But, I mean, coaches, all they're thinking about is who makes me sleep well at night. And guys you trust and earn that trust, again, being available. So um, it's going to be interesting come camp in that it's kind of been a quiet spring for a lot of these rookies, more from a health standpoint. Again, Richardson obviously is in a different camp. But you haven't seen Brents. You haven't seen Josh Downs since rookie minicamp. Uh, again, Darius Rush has missed the last couple weeks. So we'll see when camp rolls around the differences on that front. I still am laughing at the – and I took it as a compliment that you think I look like Southern Indiana today. You do. You've got on the Pabst hat and the Indiana State Larry Bird t-shirt. That's a sweet shirt, by the way. Trying to make sure that the uh, YouTubers. That Pabst hat is awesome. Yeah, this is great. I really like it. You think Indiana State will have a contingent down there in Fort Worth? I would hope. You know, here's the 12-hour drive. Here's the contingent they're going to have, Kev. What other teams are playing there? Oh, that's it. It's just... Two-team. It's just the two-team? Yeah, so there's uh, eight. I was thinking it was a super regional, and there were like four teams total. No, no, no. Eight uh, two-team sites, and okay, it's then, best then, two Yeah, three. that that's tough, because I was going to say if there were two other teams there that had to go down there, they would, you know, everybody would be rooting for Indiana State that's not TCU, yeah. right? But yes. again, I'll give credit to TCU, because in a difficult situation where they backed their way into a home game, they've played it about as well as you can oh, of, of showing an understanding of it. And, and the amount of money they've raised for Special Olympics yeah, continuing to do that with concession sales. Yeah, we started with 64. We're down to 16 in the baseball tournament. They are eight two-team Super Regionals. The winner of each of those eight head to Omaha. So that is what Indiana State will be going for. First pitch, 5 o'clock today. On ESPNU, boy, John will be locked into that final hour of the show. Uh, John will be watching probably live on GameCast, right? Oh, I, he'll be on ESPNU on, and I guess he could be remote today. He'll certainly have on ESPNU wherever. It is cool. It's very he cool. Is. And I told you, if they go to Omaha, hats for everybody. I love it. You don't need one, though. You got that sweet Pabst hat. Yeah, yeah, I got Sam Fritz right. is wearing his sweet city of Indianapolis hat, but I'll get him an, I'll get him an ISU hat instead of you. <laughs> well, thank you. How's that? Thank you. Uh, time for a morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Major League Baseball yesterday. Dodgers over the Reds 6-0. Clayton Kershaw 8-4 now. He went seven innings, no runs. No surprise there. Five hits, two walks. Uh, it was elsewhere in Major League Baseball yesterday. The Guardians over the Red Sox 10-3. The White Sox and Yankees split a doubleheader. That was a doubleheader necessitated by the poor air quality from the Canadian wildfires in the New York area. That same situation again postponed the Washington Nationals and their game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Cute fella, 6-3 winner over Milwaukee. It was the Angels over the Cubs 3-1 and the Omaha Storm Chasers. Speaking of Omaha, 15-7 over the Indianapolis Indians. Last night, game three of the Stanley Cup final. I'm sitting there watching the third period thinking, man, I should honestly watch more playoff hockey. The entertainment was outstanding. Uh, and the Florida Panthers got it done. They forced overtime with about two minutes to go in the third period. And then five, they staved off a uh, penalty as well. 
And then about five minutes into that extra period, they score, they get on the board, 2-1 Vegas leads, and that series, Game 4, will be tomorrow night. And Jake, Game 4 is tonight. Denver is favored by 3.5 of the NBA Finals, and if I had to guess, based off what you've said earlier in the show, you're going with the Nuggets tonight? Yeah, I, I think, again, I, I know that I've said all along, it's tough to bet against Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler. You know, those guys are, are – and Miami's got a tough mentality about them. But I, Denver's awfully strong. And I, I think that was a back-breaking loss to see, especially in the third quarter, the way Denver just took advantage of game three and pulled away. That was the that was one of those emotionally breaking losses. And I would be surprised if Miami comes back from it. We shall see. You know, I, I tend to agree with that, but then I feel like I've said that 17 different times about Miami in these playoffs. Ah, oh, they're done. Yeah, they can't. No, no, they're over. They're finally going to look like an eighth seed. And yet, time and time again, they do it again. But we'll see. They certainly need one more in terms of a third guy supporting Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. You would think if that's going to happen, it would happen at home. We'll see if one of those undrafted dudes have – one more in them as Miami desperately needs that one. Our coverage begins tonight at 7.30 for Game 4. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, Jake. Shout out Boomer Sooner. It is a 50, was it 53 game win streak? They have 61 wins on the year. Uh, Oklahoma, the College World Series winners for softball. Boy, that complex looks beautiful. I don't know if you watched any of it last night. Packed. I think it's Oklahoma City, by the way, so that probably helps. Uh, but a really, really good-looking complex down there. And uh, Oklahoma gets it done. 3-1 winners over Florida State. I didn't realize, by the way, Norman, Oklahoma is essentially a suburb of Oak City. It, is it really? Yeah. I mean, it's not very far. And then Stillwater is nowhere near that? Stillwater, I think it's like an, it's like Lafayette to here. You know, Stillwater is home of uh, Eskimo Joe's. Jump a little juke joint. I have no idea what Eskimo Joe's is, but it's a bar in Stillwater. And like in the mid-90s, their T-shirts became really popular. My high school golf teammates played at Oklahoma State, which is like the Duke of college golf. He was a walk-on, but. Did he ever go to Eskimo Joe's? Um, I'm going to venture to guess. He might have got a little juke joint. There. Scott Johnston, Shout out Brad Gale. Scott Johnston dressed in honor of you Look today. Look at that, Scotty, the athletics. That is a great-looking jersey. You walk over here and show the YouTube audience that, Scotty? That looks beautiful. I don't know if you know this or not. Based on the 2023 Oakland Athletics, Scotty bought the jersey and the hat off eBay. These are game-worn, authentic Oakland Athletic jerseys. Part of the reward for buying that jersey, Scotty, starting on Tuesday. Right? Sam, you're not laughing at that, are you? I, I held Scotty. it in, I, I did find it funny. Yeah. Scotty's warming up over there. <laughs> How about this in transfer portal news? Uh, remember Paul Mulcahy for Rutgers? Yes. The white dude to the headband that I feel like was biting players on the floor at times. Uh, shockingly, he did not keep his name in the NBA draft. I'm stunned he didn't earn a lottery distinction. Uh, he's entering the portal. Should Indiana use their last scholarship on that dude? That guy, he's not good enough, but he screams Duke, doesn't he? Oh, screams it. <laughs> screams it. I swear it was like, uh, every Rutgers game I turned on. We're going to the monitor. Paul McKay, he's been involved in an incident. <laughs> Tripping somebody. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, pop quiz time. Freebie Friday. Jiffy Lube oil change no matter what happens here on the pop quiz. That would be 317-239-1070. I just pulled up the pop quiz. Scotty, I'm seeing two hockey questions and a horse racing question. The horse racing's easy. It's Secretariat. It is not, right, Scotty? 
Secretary related, Sham. but that is not the answer on that. Uh, Freebie Friday, Pop Quiz, give us a call. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We'll do that on the other side. Jake, we talked about how great the news was for Tom Allen today and that the Big Ten eliminating the divisions 2024-2025 schedules announced. Um, they protected rivalries within the Big Ten, so you will definitely play this opponent annually. You know, Michigan, Ohio State, duh. Indiana, Purdue, duh. USC, UCLA, duh. Some of these other ones, though, I, I didn't even know they were rivalries. Purdue and Illinois is a protected rivalry. Yeah, I mean, is that really a rivalry? Maryland-Rutgers, is that just because they joined at the same time and that, no one wants them in the Big Ten? Yes. Maryland-Rutgers <laughs> I mean, is known as the TV market rivalry. Um, <laughs> who plays for the little cannon? Oh, there's so many stupid do you know? trophies. Who's the one that... The, the, the Shillelagh. I thought it was Purdue and Illinois. They play for like a little cannon. So these are all of them. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Iowa. Iowa's got three three rivalries. I mean, come on. Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue. And Iowa's rivals, Iowa State. Illinois, Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern, USC, UCLA. Now, Indiana and Michigan State is the spittoon, right? Indiana, Kentucky, was that the bourbon barrel? That sounds right. I'm picturing Antoine Randall and going nuts about that. The bourbon barrel's very aged at this point, right? Uh, Purdue, Illinois is the cannon game. It's like a little in the cannon. Like it's 25 not like, minutes. Kevin. It's it's literally like a little cannon. It looks like a pencil sharpener. It's like what is this? It's a little cannon. That cannon fella, the actor, he's got a lot of children, right? What's his first name? Nick Cannon. Oh yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Seems to be well. This the one between Purdue Illinois fires blanks. Well, so this guy seems to not, not the same. Have some Michael Phelps to him, if you catch my drift there from a swimming standpoint. Um, all right, it's time for the pop quiz. Through on seven two three nine ten seventy. Jake, uh, the phone lines are already packed here on this freebie Friday. Give us a number. Uh, I will go with number numero uno, number one. Fast finger. Sam Fritz is who? Numero uno goes to Chris. Chris. Fork. Chris, Fork how you doing? Chris. Good, buddy. It's forklift, Chris. I was gonna say it sounded like you were just putting the thing in reverse. <laughs> no, no, I just got off about a half hour ago. Chris, yeah. how's life? Great, great. Works good. Good Chris, weather. You go into work at what time? Uh, Eleven p.m. And, and so you get off at nine a.m. Is that right? Sometimes eight, sometimes nine or ten. And this yeah, is how many days a week? It's five days a week. So basically Monday night at 11 until Saturday morning at 8 or 9. Now, when you're on the days off, do you continue with the same kind of schedule or do you try to readjust your body to be able to live like the normal non-vampire hours? No, I can't I can't stay up all night. I mean, there's no way. I just But I, I sleep most of the day Saturday, most of the day Sunday, and I readjust on Monday night. So Monday night's kind of a, uh, kind of a struggle. So. Chris, are you, like, allowed to um, listen to anything? While you execute the forklift, uh, you're not supposed to. Not not like earbuds, but I mean, you can have your phone on, and as long as you don't hit anybody with your forklift. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a lot of forklift traffic, Chris? I would assume that's yeah, the top of the list. 
about 70 forklifts at once, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, you imagine bumper cars on that? That'd be awesome. Yeah, I've been, I've been hit several times. Really? <laughs> Chris, yeah. Chris, I apologize ahead of time. We have horse racing and hockey questions on the pop quiz, but good news is it's a freebie Friday. Glad to hear all is well, and Jake will throw number one at you. Chris, are, are forklifts electronic, or do they run on, like, deep? Like, what do they run on? They got a pro, well, there's propane tanks, and then they got electric uh, plug-ins. Uh, we drive uh, propanes, which, I mean, they – they kind of stink, but it's not good to breathe them. But a lot of dirt, so okay, that's all right. Pays well, so now, I'm Chris, good. do you are you a married fellow? Do you have kids, family? Uh, the son, um, ex-wife that lives in Florida. That's it. And yeah, your your son, son's how old? Twenty. Okay. Um, you sound like a nice fella. Did I already ask you if you'd like to come to our PBR party if we ever have one? Diet cokes are perfectly sufficient. Yeah, I did last time, but I'll I'll, I'll stick with the PBRs. <laughs> mainly, but uh, Chris, I got this. Right too. Got this awesome PBR hat yes. on right he now. He does, man. And we're gonna have to work around Chris's times, though. You know, for the oh, old that's right PBR that's right. party. We, that's right. We'll have some coffee or some Red Bull for you if you need okay. that. There. Okay, Chris, would you like for me that would be Jake or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? I'll go with you, Jake. All right, here we go. What milestone did the Cleveland Guardians third baseman Jose Ramirez reach in yesterday's win? over the Boston Red Sox. A, he had three home runs in a game for the first time in his career. B, he hit his 200th career home run. C, he got his 700th RBI. Or D, he did all of them in the same game. Actually, it's just a shot in the dark. Um, we'll go with D. Okay. Was Ramirez the guy that hit the home run to force it into extras against the Cubs? Rajay Davis. Nice call. Thank Former you, Indianapolis Indian Rajay Davis. Uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, Chris. Boomer Sooner, they're national champs in softball for 2023. Which of the following Division One records did the Sooners not set this season? A, the first school to win three straight national championships in softball. B, a record of 61-1. and C, a 53-game winning streak. Or D, they scored 500 runs in three straight seasons. Uh, no, I know it's not A. Um, I'm going to go with B. Boy, I could have sworn you just got hit by one of those forklifts. Uh, you care for another <laughs> guess there, Chris? I'll go see. All right, last night, Chris, the Florida Panthers, of course, they won in overtime. Tenth straight overtime playoff victory for the Panthers. Second longest streak in NHL history. It's a wild stuff. The record belongs to the team that actually has the most Stanley Cups of any franchise. Is it the Bruins, Red Wings, Dallas Stars, or Montreal Canadiens? With the Bruins. I always appreciate Chris's consistency and just <laughs> right at it. Right, right at it. Does yeah. not mess around whatsoever. Chris, number four, the Panthers WL last night. We will not have a sweep in the Stanley Cup final, extending a streak that goes back to 1998. Name the last NHL team to win the Cup in a seven game final series. Elton John had a song about this team. I had a cup of this team, or not this version of the team, but this franchise that was signed by uh, all their players. I used to put it on my nightstand back in the day. A, the Boston Bruins. B, the Seattle, or the Seattle, the St. Louis Blues. C, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Or D, the Carolina Hurricanes. Go with B. That's why they call it. Okay. B, B. By the way, Chris, are, are forklifts automatic or manual? Uh, they're automatic. Okay. What's the and, highest uh, speed a forklift can go? Uh, it's supposed to only go about seven or eight, but you can bump them up to like 
10 or 11, but uh, you'll be you'll be no, you'll be noticed and uh, they'll they'll get on you. If they told you that you only had that you could only work three days a week for the same pay, but you got to drive the forklift back and forth to work from home, would you do it? Uh, I think I would. I don't live about eight miles from there, so I, think, I probably would. <laughs> take, oh, yeah. take the governor out of the forklift. Commute. <laughs> All right, we're going 11. All right, here we go. It'd be hard to drive down five points, so I would go narrow. <laughs> <laughs> Question number five for you. 50 years ago today, Secretariat, the greatest racehorse to ever live, became the first horse to win the Triple Crown since 1948, and he did it in the Belmont by one of the most astonishing performances in the history of any sport. 31 lengths over second place. Sham essentially looked like a match race coming out of turn number one before Secretariat absolutely hit the afterburners. What horse was second in the 1973 Belmont to Secretariat? Was it Sham, My Gallant, Twice a Prince, or Private Smiles? Uh, I'm going to go with Twice a Prince. That was, that was born a year later. Nice. Wow, that was a pretty solid close there out of Chris. Um, all right, number one. Kind of like twice a prince had, just one enough. Got right. All the above on Jose Ramirez. Um, what else? Number four and five. The blues correct. Twice a prince correct. The slip ups though, two and three. I felt like there was no chance to really get around his initial gut feeling with number two because he ruled out A very quickly, but it was A. Oklahoma Sooners, not the first school to win three straight national titles. UCLA in eighty eight. 90. Chris, stay on the line. Freebie I'll Friday what, here for the Jiffy Lube oil change. That, I, I know I'm obsessed by it, but I would tell everybody because it was 50 years ago today. The 73 Belmont, you got to watch it. You've seen it, I'm sure, Kevin. I mean, Sham, you know, a lot of people forget Sham was arguably, of the last 50 years, if you were to list the greatest racehorses of all time, Sham would be like in your top probably 10. Sham, at the wrong time. Sham just had the misfortune, correct, of being in the same year as Secretariat. And the – I believe Luisa Costa, I believe, was the name of the jockey for Sham. And they told him going into the Belmont – and, again, there were only, I think, six horses entered. But they told – no, there were five, I believe, because Sham came in last. But they, they told – I believe his name was Acosta. They said, look. The last two races, Secretariat really charged late, especially the Derby. So this time, from the word go, get alongside Secretariat and wear him out. Wear him out, and then and, and we'll see if he can actually, you know, what he can do. So they went, coming off of turn number one at the Belmont, they were literally side by side. And the legend has it is that, you know, obviously they've got the blinders on, but that Ronnie Turcott said that Secretariat, when he would realize that there was a horse next to him, that's when he knew he was challenged and he'd take off. So Secretariat and Sham were running side by side, and Secretariat felt Sham there and took off, and Sham tried to keep up. And everybody was saying, they're like, Secretariat's keeping a pace that he can't keep. He's running a pace he can't keep. I believe he's the only horse in the history of the Belmont to run each quarter mile faster than the previous and he ran each leg faster than the previous leg of the race. And his top speed was when he finished the race, 31 links up. He never he never let up. Um, and then I told you the story, Kevin, about when I went to Claiborne Farms, and they said that when Secretariat was in retirement and was in his grazing pasture, Sham came one day. 
I'm assuming to sire, and they got curious in the pasture next to Secretariat's. They let Sham go into it, and Secretariat was just sitting in his pasture, and he and Sham made eye contact, and then just started sprinting and ran like three lengths up and down the fence line together, and then they took Sham away, and Secretariat went back and laid down. But two unbelievable horses. But twice a prince. Um, Sham fell back to the rest of the pack. Twice a prince finished second and still was not within. The camera had to move over to the right as Secretariat crossed the line because they couldn't get the field and Secretariat in the same camera shot. He was that far ahead. We've got several derby horses in the Belmont coming up on Saturday. Mage, the winner of the derby, is not in the field, though. We do have National Treasure, the Preakness winner, in the field. But as we said earlier in the show, I can't think of a sporting event that is more dependent on sporting events that happened before it in terms of ratings and attention. I mean, hell, we had, you know, the horse race guru Caleb join us before the Derby and the Preakness. I didn't even cross my mind, Jake, to have him on again. Nothing against him, but I just, I don't really care about the Belmont. You made a really great point this morning. One of the first things you said is, is there any sporting event that is more reliant on its the two before it than, than the Belmont? And again, it's like an individual sporting event. It's not like the championship game of a playoff series. Like I'm not saying that, but I mean the the promoters of the Belmont must be rooting really hard for the Kentucky Derby winner in the Preakness, right? You know what Without I mean? Without question. Like, yeah. I mean, you are the biggest mage fan in the world at the Preakness. Yeah. Uh, and obviously did not get it done. I brought up that Jose Ramirez earlier and it was Rajay Davis as Scotty said, uh, my wife's best friend is in town. Um, she came in last night and they lived in Chicago during that playoff run between the Cubs and the Indians and Addison Russell hit a home run. And at the time they're at a bar and she happened to be in the bathroom. She found out she was pregnant when Addison Russell hit the home run. And so then thought to herself, what are we going to name the kid Addison or Russell? Uh, her last name is actually Russell. That, that I was getting to that to that part really? of the of the story. Her last name is Russell Addison. You know, clearly I, I would call that kind of a you know versatile name, male or female name. Uh, they ended up going with Nora, but she said when she delivered on the floor with her, there were like a handful of Addisons, boy and girl. I, I believe that because that's, I, I mean, well, there's also Addison is the name of the street that Wrigley's on, right? Yeah, right. Clark and Addison, Clark and yeah. Addison? yeah. That's pretty cool, though. And again, boy or girl, that my, fan base, My parents, diehard, huge Cubs fans, lifelong Cubs fans. And when the Cubs, when when it, in that game, my my oldest sister texted me and my sister Megan, like, we, we all need to go to mom and dad's right now because we got to be there to, with them when the Cubs win the World Series. My sister Juge walked in the house, my parents' house, right as Rajay Davis. The ball hit the bat, and my dad turned around, looked at my sister Juge, and goes, out! <laughs> out! <laughs> Nothing says deep. baseball fandom <laughs> and Cubs fandom yep. like that. That's awesome. All right, we'll do it one final time. Kevin and Corey, round it out the week. You are listening to Kevin and Corey on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I did not realize this, Kevin. Thank you to the text that I received. Tri-West High School, right? Sure. And I'm trying to find the young girl's name. They have a pitcher in softball who is committed to Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. That's and then the Ron Colley girl's like the best player in the nation, right? And she's committed to Florida? Yeah, that's impressive. Rothrock, I believe, is her last name. Yeah, softball uh, state finals this weekend. Audrey Lowry, the number two 2024 recruit. So are you telling me the two best players in the nation both reside here? 22-3 and three with a .42 ERA. 
Wow, did they face you're off this you're season? Gonna, you're going to force me now to look up the recruiting lists for softball, aren't uh, you? Yeah, and sooner or later you're going to be posting on message boards about it. <laughs> uh, I'm off to Bluey tomorrow. You going to the show with me? Excuse me? Bluey at Old National Center. Buffaloes? 2 o'clock, Bluey. It's an Australian dog. <laughs> I think this would be right up your alley. I was going to ask you if the Australians are going to fly in for it. The number three player next year is from Hanover Central in Cedar Lake, Indiana. Man, we're just a power in softball. Number six, Audrey Lowry, Tri-West, lives in Indiana. And you said this is – but I'm looking at next year's top recruiting class, I think. Oh, yeah, so the Rothrock girl will be 2023, right? Yeah, stand by. Yeah, I'm at Old National Center tomorrow, Rosie's birthday, taking her and her cousin to Bluey. If you're looking for something to do, I'm sure that's high on your agenda. I'm not sure what – I think you would enjoy Bluey. I don't know what the weekend agenda is because it's been too long since – it's been like a yeah, month and be a half happy since I've had a free off, weekend. Right? Yeah. Sam Fritz, anything? You said uh, you're going up to Peru? Yeah, so a little bit of work tomorrow and then afterwards driving up to Peru to see my mom who's in town from Pennsylvania. Uh, she's visiting family as she was originally born and raised up there. Do you nice. speak Spanish? Do I speak? No, unfortunately, I, I Come on, took oh, Spanish three and I don't remember most of it. I've always found it interesting that llamas, Jeremiah Johnson llamas are native to the country Peru. whose capital is Lima. I've always found that interesting. Thank you to Greg Rakestraw, George Bremer. Again, game four tonight on these airwaves beginning at 7.30. Our coverage will have game four of the Stanley Cup final tomorrow on these airwaves. Everybody have a great weekend. Talk to you Monday.